Welcome to the Slumpbuster. It's time for episode 124 of the Slumpbuster podcast. On today's episode, Kyle and I break down the latest happenings in college football, Mario Cristobal to Miami, give you an update on his NBA power rankings, and give you a preview for NFL Week 14. Sit down, bust a slump, and enjoy. Welcome in, Slump Busters. Welcome in, Kyle Ledbetter, here to defend your take on Bryce Young being one of the weakest Heisman candidates in college football history. How does your day go, my friend? You mean the Heisman Trophy winner? Yeah. So for for people who are looking for context here, who maybe are missing out by not following all the wonderful content over on the Slump Buster YouTube account, other than these wonderful podcasts, of course, in our Alabama, Georgia recap, I I dropped a subtle line that Bryce Young is going to win the Heisman, even though it's one of the weaker Heisman Trophy winners that we've ever had. And uh, I, I stand by this very much so because this is one of the few things that actually got me. Usually I just ignore internet comments or just like play into it when someone's like your page is terrible i'm like yeah that's totally fair page is really bad i don't know why i do this but all of that to say this one got me because i'm like you're mad at me for saying it but you're not proposing like any counterfact to this and i went like go back 10 years in the last 10 years this doesn't have to be bryce young is bad this just has to be bryce young is not better than all of the really really good players that have been in college football the last 10 years if you take out last year and devonta smith because i think that might be the weakest heisman trophy winner of the last 20 years if you want to go further back than that but yes Alabama fans if you want to say in history fine you have proven me wrong there are two people worse than Bryce Young in the last 50 years congratulations you you got me on that I was thinking back just in my head right now and I think there's a guy from Florida State in the 90s it's like Chris like Winky or something like that Chris Winky yes uh, that name does ring some bells there I think it wouldn't surprise me I want to say he like played like a backup for the Niners or something like I know the Niners had a bunch of terrible backup quarterbacks in the early he 2000s was also if i remember correctly 27 years old when he won the heisman and this is not a joke like i think he was genuinely 27 years old with the year he won the heisman that so brings up brandon whedon comparisons there that's fair brandon whedon who by the way beat andrew luck in a fiesta bowl 10 years ago which it's just stupid to say every time i think of brandon whedon i'm like he, he got drafted in the first round just by beating andrew luck in in a fiesta bowl but yeah it was the best oklahoma state season ever until this year where Oklahoma State was one inch, four inches, about about this. I mean, again, this is an audio medium, but about this short from getting into the college football playoff. So it was the best Oklahoma State season since Brandon Whedon. Brandon Whedon did not win the Heisman, by the way, for people playing this game, because if he did, Brandon Whedon would definitely be the weakest Heisman Trophy winner of the last 10 years. Wasn't he like top five or was, am I just mistaking his draft position? He was, he was really good that year. Again, he was like 20 eight years old playing college football but yeah Brandon Whedon was that year behind RG3 won the Heisman that year so this was 2011 so RG3 won the Heisman Andrew Luck was up there somewhere I want to say this was post Mark Ingram so I don't think Mark Ingram could have won the Heisman that year someone from Alabama was probably up there I can't remember oh AJ McCarron was there so AJ McCarron was probably somewhere near the top of the Heisman voting did LSU have anyone good at that I don't think LSU 
had anyone good back then. The next year would be the Manti Teo year, but I don't think Manti <laughs> Teo was top five in 2011. So Whedon's probably up there. He's at least a name that we remember from that season. One thing I was thinking about, though, when I was seeing someone in the comments did post Bryce Young's stats, could it be a little bit of recency bias just based off him coming off of that Auburn game, recent evaluation of Bryce Young there? Also, too, is it along the thought process that we went into the year with our idea of the Heisman favorites kind of got turned on its head real quick as the season progressed. I mean, we thought Spence Rattler was going to be up there. We thought Keaton Slovis was going to be up there. JT Daniels was going to be up there. And in the end, the only one that really stood out was Bryce Young when it was all said and done. Yeah, Bryce Young is probably getting a little bit of of bad mojo from that one. But even still, like I just thinking back to the start of the year, like Bryce Young was someone who everyone knew by name, but no one had watched him play, obviously. And he was a five-star recruit. Five-star quarterbacks go to Alabama now because that's the thing that happens in college football now is that not only is Alabama getting five-star everything, they get five-star quarterbacks who- Hey, they also go to USC now too. Lincoln Riley's securing that bag. Bryce Young, fun fact, committed to USC, committed from USC and then went to Alabama. He's from the Los Angeles area. So don't blame him. Clay Helton versus Nick Saban. I think I'll take my chances with old St. Nick, especially because you knew it was going to be the lame duck year for Clay Helton, where everyone knew he was going to get fired. By the way, do you know where Clay Helton is now? Yeah, he, he is coaching the Georgia Southern Eagles now over in the Sunbelt Conference. So Ooh, Clay Helton got a job. I remember writing about them kicking my alma mater's ass. Shout out to NMSU football. Who <laughs> joined Conference USA? Hey, we're moving up in the world. We actually have a conference now. We're definitely the weakest independent team in college football. Literally, I don't know, 126 out of 126 or whatever the number is now. Speaking of people that got new jobs, though, Mario Cristobal, Miami. What do you think about that one? A seamless transition right there by you. I think this is kind of the pinnacle on the coaching cycle, right? We had Lincoln Riley leave a very good job at Oklahoma to go to SC. Brian Kelly leave to go to LSU and Mario Cristobal. Technically the third of three in this, like Mario Cristobal has the the least track record of the three coaches that we're talking about here. He's obviously been to a Rose Bowl with Justin Herbert, who he did not recruit to Oregon. He's been in the Pac-12 title game three times in four years. So obviously he has some track record there. He's going to make $8 million a year at Miami, just for people keeping track at home. It's a 10-year, $80 million contract for Mario Cristobal. Also, you can throw Brett Venables in the mix because Brent Venables has turned down like good like four or five Power 5 head coaching jobs in the past to stay at Clemson. Uh, and now he's going to Oklahoma. Miami's getting the athletic director from Clemson, Dan Radakovich. Uh, he's coming down to Miami. So Clemson, you know, their dynasty is being dismantled here. By the time people are listening to this, Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, might be the head coach at Virginia or something like that. So all of this is dismantling ever so slightly in Clemson, which I found interesting this week. Uh, in terms of Miami, what's really interesting is the University of Miami went from basically operating like a Vanderbilt or like a Stanford for 10 to 15 years where we're like athletics are just an economic vehicle for the school to now in like one coaching cycle saying, okay, now we're willing to spend like a big time college football program with a big time athletic budget, which Miami technically has, even though they've operated like a Virginia or like an NC state for years 
now in, you know, where we don't have the money Clemson has. We don't have the money Louisville has. We don't have the money Florida State has. We don't have the money that SEC schools have. That's now changed for Miami. And it reminds me a lot of where Clemson was about a decade ago when they decided they wanted to get back in the big game hunting of college football. And that's what's happening for Miami now. Will it work out? I don't know. The good news for them, they play in a conference and a division that has no other teams spending even close to the athletic budget that they are at. Does that guarantee they're going to win the ACC Coastal every year? It doesn't. Sometimes, like we saw this year, sometimes you can have Florida State, Louisville, and Clemson in the same division, and Wake Forest is going to find a way to win the ACC Atlantic. It's going to happen every now and then. But Miami from about, not next year, from 2023, three onward should probably expect to play in the ACC championship game pretty much every single year. Well, if you're competing in the ACC championship, then you have the possibility, not saying this is a guarantee, of course, but you have the possibility of at least being a top 10 program, which is that Miami's goals. Do they want to get back to that national title promised land that they were once in, in the late nineties, early two thousands? Of course. I just wonder if Mario Cristobal is necessarily that guy, certainly going to a weaker conference. He has more opportunity than going to, a improving Pac-12, obviously making the big hire in Riley there at USC. Oregon's now in a position where they could go back to being little brother in that conference. And certainly um, we'll see what happens with Utah. I heard Kyle Whittingham is considering retiring after this bowl game. If that happens, then that could certainly turn their program on its head. I do like the move of them going to Miami when I really looked at the other surrounding factors, obviously from there, played there. His mom is living in Southern Florida too, and she's kind of in her later years. So, you know, certainly being around family, I can't fault a guy for wanting to go down there for that. And if they're going to offer you, like you said, 10 year, $80 million deal, it's a no brainer. Even with Phil Knight, even with Oregon's money, I, I think it's a no brainer. Now that leaves the question of how desirable of a location is Oregon moving forward. I've heard some rumors, Chip Kelly, Joe Brady's been talking about now that he's oh, free from God. Carolina. Oh God. Chip um, Kelly. <laughs> Chip Kelly. That, that I mean, sounds hey. like just the internet making up fun stuff there. There's that that would be insane if he ends up going there. Would it? I mean, obviously, yes. Oregon has never had a higher peak than when Chip Kelly was their head coach. This is true, but Cristobal never got there this year, but they've had three different coaches in 10 years be a top three ranked team in the country. But each Oregon, one of those coaches trying to find that Chip Kelly magic in their time. Why not just hire Chip Kelly if you want Chip Kelly so bad? hire Chip Kelly. Because I don't know if Oregon would want Chip Kelly back. Chip Kelly has not had the greatest reputation over the last decade as his offenses start to become more and more archaic. And he doesn't necessarily evolve with the times the same way Lovey Smith didn't evolve with the times and got basically cycled through everyone. Or Jason Garrett has not evolved with the times. And now he's about to go be the coach at Duke, it looks like at this point. So, you know, sometimes people phase out that way. Chip Kelly's had a, an okay run at UCLA. Like, yeah, they, they're going play in the holiday bowl this year down in san diego which is you know fine i guess like in a division where they get free wins against colorado and arizona and this year usc like okay it's a, it's a fine season there but if i'm oregon like they've never ponied up for big coaching money obviously willie taggart left for florida state now cristobal moving on to go to uh, the university of miami and they fired mark helfrick who went to a national championship and chip kelly obviously went to a national championship at that program and so to that point i don't even think oregon has to spend big because oregon plays in a conference where their resource discrepancy is so big compared to the rest of the conference and this is just again it's one major donor it's phil knight it's nike money that's what gets them in the game phil knight really wants to build a like national power 
at Oregon because it's his school and, and they have all those resources and them and USC are the, I've said it for a couple of years now, but it was especially true this year watching it. USC and Oregon are the only programs like West of Texas that can compete at a national level in college football because of the resources that they have. Washington can get good every now and then and get to like second or third tier, but they can't quite get to the level that like a USC or an Oregon is at. So if I'm Oregon, like I go get like, the best available assistant or I go and get, you know, maybe PJ Fleck over at Minnesota. I know he just signed a contract extension or something like that. Here's the current Vegas betting odds. Chip Cowie plus 175. So he is the betting favorite at the moment. Justin Wilcox, the Cal head coach at plus 200. Joe Brady, as mentioned, plus 400. Brian Harson, Auburn head coach at plus 500. Kalani Sataki, so BYU. He's at plus oh, yeah. 600. Matt Campbell, we've mentioned him before. He's plus 900. And then bringing out of retirement, Chris Peterson. Now, Chris Peterson, that's an interesting name if they could convince him at plus 1100. Obviously, Peterson's had success at the conference. He's had success at Boise State. He's had success in that Pacific Northwest area recruiting for Washington. I think that would be my favorite hiring there. There's also Dave Aranda. Now, I guess that just depends. Does Dave Aranda want to dominate the Big 12, which I think Baylor is in a position to do with Texas and Oklahoma leaving? Or does he want to go in and compete against Lincoln Riley year after year in the Pac-12? Yeah, I think the Dave Aranda thing was something everyone connected right away. And then it like kind of people kind of like started actually digging into it and found out Aranda like wasn't interested at all in leaving Baylor after this year. So they were like, okay, that's fine. We'll move on to the next person. They're in a position to succeed, right? I mean, who else is competing in the Big 12 moving forward? I mean, is Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State going to continue this run of success? Is TCU going to find the next head coach and compete? Cincinnati, are they going to immediately move from a group of five school to a power five and start competing right out the gate? UCF, BYU. I don't think these schools are necessarily ready to just jump into the Big 12 and just instantly start off. Whereas you look at what Aranda is doing at Baylor, he already has him an 11-2 program. They win the Big 12 championship. Uh, They've turned it around pretty quick and Baylor's had success in the past. The Big 12 feels like it's on a little bit of uncertain ground over the past, you know, obviously year because as they've recycled. And the reason is only because I don't know what their television contract is going to be next year. The Big 12 is the only major conference that doesn't have like a major network on either ESPN or Fox or something like that, like an SEC network or an ACC network or Pac-12 network or or Big 12, Big 10 network. They don't have that right now. So I have kind of looked at them like it's going to be a power four. And then the big 12 is kind of in purgatory for me right now until I figure out what that television contract is. Cause if their television contract goes down 30%, 35%, 40% without having Texas and Oklahoma in the conference, when they renegotiate in three years, that could kind of change the balance of power in college football, where you get those teams in there, they can put teams in this expanded college football playoff, of course, but they kind of operate not necessarily like a mountain West school, but kind of like below these other power conferences. So the Big 12, I feel like is kind of in purgatory right now. Not that it doesn't have like super desirable jobs. It's still, you know, it's better than being the head coach at Central Michigan, like Jim McElwain, hump shark, shark humper Jim McElwain is right now. But you can still have some sort of money, resources, power to build a national contender, maybe not a national champion. Again, who was the last national champion from the Big 12? I believe it is Texas in 2006, if I remember correctly. So again, you can build a national power, even if it's not, you know, at the level of an Alabama or a Clemson or whatever it is. 
because I feel like the Big 12's kind of in this purgatory right now where their future seems uncertain because the money seems uncertain in that conference. Yeah, losing Texas and Oklahoma is almost a death blow to their popularity nationwide. Just that national brand to tie themselves to because as good as Baylor is, as good as Oklahoma State can be, they just don't even sniff what Texas and Oklahoma bring to the conference in terms of national recognition. I I don't think there's Baylor fans out there in Maryland. I don't think that there's Oklahoma State fans in Southern California. There might be a Mike Gundy fan somewhere because people recognize Mike Gundy from his press conference outburst back in the day. But for the most part, there's nothing that really ties people's attention to these schools. There might be some new Cincinnati fans. There might be some people that want to root for Cincinnati as they enter the Power Five. And again, we'll roughly use Power Five with exclamation points here because I agree with you. I think they're going to be treated as the Pac-12 has been treated for the last decade. And they might even get treated as the Big East was in the mid-2000s where, yes, we do accept you as a Power Five conference, but we don't recognize you as a real Power Five conference. Yeah, of course. Star Wars makes Windu talk there if you get the reference. But um, I will play devil's advocate for the big or not the big 12 for the Pac-12, because we we like to make a lot of Pac-12 jokes on our our podcast, because for like you said, for five to 10 years, it's just been they're all mediocre beating each other up all the time. In fairness, the Pac-12 does still have those national powers. USC and Oregon can both still be national powers. You look at the big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma, those national powers seem to be pretty much gone, or at least having a a singular team that is in the top 20 in athletic budget in all of college football. Uh, if and you take away Texas and Oklahoma. And historically, yeah. none of these programs have had just the success that those two schools have had. I will say, actually, there is one still left in the Big 12. It's Kansas has a top 20 athletic budget, but they've decided that we're just going to take all this football money and put it to basketball. So and that's that smart. does change the math there. Smart by them. Who knows? Lance Leopold could get that program going here in the next year. Kansas <laughs> for Big 12 champions. Am I here? Hearing it? Am I hearing it? That's probably a no. No, that's it's not impossible. If you told me there are stranger things that can happen than Kansas winning the Big 12. Iowa State basically won the Big 12 two years ago, and Iowa State was Kansas for a decade. By the way, if we want to close the loop here, I have the top 10 Heisman finishers from 2011. If you'd like to dabble in who is at the top of that list that we forgot. Wait on me. So we did have RG3 1, Andrew Luck 2, Trent Richardson came in at number three, forgot about he was the Alabama running back at that time. Then you follow that up with Monty Ball at number four, Tyran Matthew, number five, Matt Barkley, number six, Case Keenum, number seven, when he broke all those passing records at Houston. That was his last year. Then you had Russell Wilson, Kellen Moore, the current offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, and LaMichael James. So Brandon Whedon didn't make it. Hmm. You know, though, I will say definitely some NFL talent on that list. And it's been a while since I've heard Monty Ball. Gosh, that was supposed to be my fantasy superstar back in the day. Denver, why didn't you use him correctly? God dang it. (laughs) Lawrence Maroney, was that the name? I think it was the name for the Broncos instead of Monty Ball, which... I'm just thinking about fantasy frustrations of the past. Well, you know, just to kind of like also look into just college football. So obviously we mentioned we did get those top four here, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Georgia. Georgia versus Michigan. I think that's the game I'm most excited for out of the two, mostly because I want to see how Georgia can rebound after that Alabama game where they kind of got a little exposed. We know how Michigan
Michigan likes to beat you. It's going to be a lot of Blake Corum. It's going to be a lot of Hassan Haskins. Can those two running backs get past that front seven of Georgia? And if they can't, does Michigan have it in them to be able to challenge the Bulldogs vertically? Because that's what Alabama was able to do. They were able to burn them with their wide receivers, Mechie, Williams, all these guys that have dynamic speed. Counter to that in the Alabama game, those wide receivers that are down Mechie because Mechie tore his ACL in that game will have to go against Cincinnati's cornerbacks. Now, Cincinnati does have some excellent cornerbacks between Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner, but will those guys be enough? That part of the problem of a power five school versus a group of five school is the depth. Alabama is just so deep everywhere else that I wonder how Cincinnati is going to be able to keep up in that game. Can Desmond Ritter challenge the Alabama defense, even though the Alabama defense isn't as vaunted as it typically is in Alabama national championship year? Desmond Ritter, is he capable to challenge these guys? That's going to be one of those things I'm very interested to see in that game. Two good games. Two good games from an interest standpoint. Just because, like we mentioned, we just want to see what happens. I know that we all have in our mind what the opening lines are going to be, what Vegas is going to look at this game as, but we just want to see it happens as fans, and we're finally in a position to see it. Yeah, and the the Michigan-Georgia game, to cycle back a little bit, that game reminds me a lot of a classic 2-3 matchup where like Ohio State would play Clemson, where we know both of these teams are very, very good, and it feels like Georgia is going to be favored in this game by a little bit just because we've seen it more consistently from them this year than Michigan. Michigan, who I said, again, had no chance of making it to the playoff this year. And I I like Georgia to win the game. Again, this is like previewing a game that's like three weeks out from now. So obviously stuff can change. But I am interested because, you know, Michigan is probably going to do the run game or they do the alternative version, which is they use the pass like the run with lots of screen passes, lots of quick outs, slant plays, uh, stuff like that, just to spread out the Georgia defense a bit. It was very successful for Alabama. So that again, that feels like the matchup there. Georgia's off. Offense is meh. <laughs> Michigan's defense is meh. So no. the, the fun matchup is is Michigan offense versus Georgia defense to going into that game, of course. I am curious if we get the national title game between Michigan and Alabama, how a guy like Aiden Hutchinson stacks up against that Alabama offensive line. Because Alabama, why they struggled in that Auburn game is they gave up seven sacks versus Auburn. Aiden Hutchinson is starting to look like he's in a position to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. If he could be yeah, a He's going to the Heisman ceremony, right? Yeah, and rightfully so. He's earned his spot over there. He's been the most dynamic pass rusher, the most consistent pass rusher in college football this year because Kadon Thibodeau came into this year as the projected number one overall draft pick, and he's kind of fallen off. I think that's been the mark of college football this year. All of our expectations have been subversed because we went into this year, like I mentioned, with that list of Heisman candidates that would not be. We went into this year with a potential mock draft that just didn't end up coming to fruition, mostly at the quarterback position and obviously we went into this year thinking okay we're gonna get another Alabama Clemson national title game did not happen so I I think this is where you know parody took over and this is what we've been asking for so will it deliver that's the next step will it deliver for us fans uh I think the college football playoff always delivers because if you put stakes and storylines behind it anything is going to be interesting and I want to I want to believe Cincinnati has a chance even though I know that there is very little chance although they have three first round picks on their team so that that could be something fun to watch I don't think they have the depth of Alabama just having five stars at every position on the backup so I guess that- if you were going to give Cincinnati any of these matchups this was the right matchup to give them 
right? Yeah. Because if you are a non-Power 5 school and you want to prove yourself against anyone, well, prove yourself against Alabama. How about that? Game one, you versus Nick Saban. To, yeah, because Cincinnati's just in the happy-to-be-there mode. So I think it's I think it's going to be fantastic for them getting that chance in the playoff. By the way, uh, if we're going to if we're going to play the fun game of who's going to be the number one pick at the edge rusher position, let us not forget that the Detroit Lions are in line to have said number one picks. So the the white guy from Michigan might be quite appealing for those Detroit Lions fans as their savior coming in. But uh, obviously Thibodeau's the guy I just know because we've been saying since April of last year that he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. He didn't play much this year. So the, the raw gifts are still there, but obviously he's battled injuries. Those two are probably going to be right at the top. Uh, apparently there's also a lot of corners in this draft this year. So I've heard that'll be fun for other teams slightly further down. But if the Lions get their choice between that, they could have asked for anything better at that because they really need help on defense. Lions really need help on defense. Well, of course, you know, if you're a Lions fan, you probably were looking for who's my next quarterback. But I, I think that this works out as best it can, given the quarterbacks that we saw, because if you're going to have the number one overall pick, there's no one worth picking there besides a defensive end or an edge rush talent. So Aiden Hutchinson, I, I think that works well in hell for him going from Jim Harbaugh to Dan Campbell. I think that's a perfect transition, right? Literally just down <laughs> the road there. Dan uh, Campbell reminds me of a Jim Harbaugh white. Dan Campbell is everything Jim Harbaugh aspires to be. Like Jim Harbaugh wants Jim Harbaugh is more nerdy than anything else. And man Campbell is just like our Jim Harbaugh walked into the the Big Ten championship this week with a three-ring binder in his hands. And man Campbell just took that three-ring binder and just like straight ripped it with his bare hands because that's man Campbell's strategy there. Jim Harbaugh is like nerdy man is like nerdy jock, and then man Campbell is just we are Ed Orgeron. We just drink like like 18 Red Bulls a day. And that's our that's our edge is just doing crazy things. I guess that's the difference between being a quarterback and being a tight end, right? Sure. Yes, that's actually a great way of putting it. That's a fantastic way of summing this up. And, you know, Mike Vrabel's a linebacker and Mike Vrabel's a crazy person with a crazy family. And also, yeah, he's a he's a head coach who also has had relative success. Like, yeah, sometimes it's just that simple. But the difference is Mike Vrabel gets bullied by Tom Brady. You hear Tom Brady a few weeks ago when he was like, oh, man, Mike Vrabel, that guy just really let himself go. He's a shell of himself. I love but Mike Vrabel's like, later one of the original Patriot Way guys. So they, they've been buddies for a decade because Mike Vrabel was, was the original win three Super Bowls with I, the Patriots guy. I know. I, I just love later career Tom Brady that he just talks so much shit. And it's kind yeah. of hilarious the way he goes about it. Because we don't see quarterbacks do it. Like Russell Wilson has never said one thing interesting in his life. The only time he Go said Hawks. a monicum of something interesting, he he everyone thought he was going to get traded. Like it's just baffling when Russell Wilson says anything interesting. So it never happens at the quarterback position. Don't bring up Russell Tom- Wilson to me though this week. I, I just can't do it this week. <laughs> I'm in a state of mourning as Russell Wilson pushes his career record to 16 and four versus the Niners, literally at 800 winning percentage. I can't anymore. I can't. When are you going to put Trey Lance in? I've been waiting on this for like weeks now. When, when is Trey uh, Lance 2022. Ah, oh, damn it. That's unfortunate, but I'm okay. Whatever. But yeah. we have different rooting interests. I have interest in the team winning games. You have interest in the storyline perspective of it. So both can work. They, they don't disagree. have to be mutually exclusive. Trey Lance both, playing doesn't mean you lose games. They don't have to be. Can, but based off what I saw in the Arizona game, based off what I saw in the second half of the Seattle game, I still believe in agreement with Kyle Shanahan on this particular point that Jimmy Garoppolo does give us the best chance to win. And yes, Jimmy Garoppolo had a couple bad picks, but unfortunately, it just seems like Pete Carroll also 
also has ownage on Jimmy Garoppolo. But then again, the Seahawks just have ownage on us. If I yes. was to mark every 49er season based off our success against the Seahawks, I would just give up on every season at this point. I can't even, I can barely remember the four wins. Uh, the only wins I can think of are, of course, the end of the 2019 season. We got them once with Nick Mullins. And other than that, it's just been a lot of sadness. It's been a lot of misery since 2012, that mark stands of that 16 and four. So that expands across the Jim Harbaugh so. era, Jim Tom Sula, Chip Kelly, and of course, Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> Is Jim Tom Sula still working? Are we still letting Jim Tom Sula in a building now? I thought he was with the Cowboys. Oh, that'd be funny if he's on the rehab tour with the Cowboys too because I know Ben McAdoo's there. Let's see. Well, Jim everyone still praises him as a good defensive line coach. And I can see bits of that. Technically, he had a better finish than Chip Kelly did as Niners head coach. He was just so a little was, bit more embarrassing. He, he was with Washington then last year with Dallas, and he is not working this season. He was fired after last year with all of Dallas's defensive coaches. That's interesting that he struggled with Washington considering their defensive line was at one point praised. And then last year, Okay, in fairness, he had Mike Nolan as the main coordinator there. Mike Nolan has been a disaster, and I think Dan Quinn's proved it based off the fact that he's had success with that Dallas Cowboys defensive unit. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. That And by the way, he also got fired in Washington before they got all the good defensive players. He got fired with the, uh, who was the coach before? Was it Jay Gruden? Yeah, he got fired Jay with Jay Gruden. And then when they hired Ron Rivera, he he did not get retained. So, he so is he a victim of, of the circumstance worst. there, just being in the wrong place with a lame duck head coach over there in Washington and then being with a Dallas defense that was just terrible. Yeah. Jim Tom Sula, Jim Tom Sula has got some bad friends. Like he, he, he hooked up his connections to Scott Linehan and, and Mike Nolan. That's not the greatest people that you should, you should be connecting your, your, your job security to. <laughs> All right, Kyle, before we move on into our NFL pick let's take a look at your last rankings update as we project to have another rankings this coming weekend. Your top three in the last update was Warriors, Nets, Suns. And since that happened, the Suns actually got a couple of head-to-head wins against the Brooklyn Nets, against the Golden State Warriors. As of today, they have a 20-4 and record, which is tied for a league best with the Warriors. What do you expect from the Suns moving forward? Uh, that the Suns are definitely going to be the top three. That I can say with certainty. The Phoenix Suns have not done anything to fall further down at this point, or anyone doing anything to catch up to them. So, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, it's been amazing how good Phoenix has been this year, considering that I didn't think they'd be able to take that leap up from last year going to the NBA Finals, which what felt a little bit, you know, disingenuous because obviously the Lakers got hurt in their series and the Nuggets were without Jamal Murray and they swept through them. And then the Clippers were playing without Kawhi Leonard for the conference finals. And all of that felt like it was piling up on the, the Suns a bit. And then they obviously collapsed because Giannis Antetokounmpo had one of the all-time great finals performances that I can remember. And Phoenix has been fantastic fantastic this year. Like I think if there's a week to move them up, this might as well be the week because I think when you get to a seven game series, I still favor the other two teams there because of the proven commodities. Like Phoenix is a very, this one or the other person, like Phoenix has two very, very good players in obviously Chris Paul and Devin Booker who are mid range, very similar play styles. Obviously Chris Paul, better distributor, Devin Booker, slightly worse on the defensive end of the floor. Devin Booker, probably a better, more pure scorer. And 
if they work an offense around Devin Booker, he can definitely be the best player on the team. Very similar type of offensive play styles. And the Warriors and Nets just happen to have those two bad men, that that Kevin Durant, Steph Curry combination that is, you know, obviously we've seen the proven commodities from them before. We trust them deeper into games. They're their generation's best players. They're going to be one and two in the MVP race this year. Like, obviously, so I mean, you saw it yesterday in the Nets game where it's like, how did the Nets win on Tuesday? It's like, well, the Nets have Kevin Durant and the other teams don't. And that's sometimes just as easy as it gets for them winning. So if you're going to pick a week, I'll give it this week for Phoenix. Maybe Phoenix will, will jump up to one or two. They've obviously got head-to-head wins, best record in the NBA. Maybe this is the week to unseat the Golden State Warriors just for, you know, just for shits and giggles. They're the three best teams in the NBA all the way through and through. Like they're three and then the Bucks are right there at four and then everyone else down below. But even still, maybe maybe they jump up a little bit just to just to spice things up a little bit, to keep things interesting. Right, I'm getting tired of in the tier one rankings having pictures of Steph Curry. I'm running out of Google images at this point, but no, in all seriousness, the Warriors have earned being the number one throughout the season, but you just have to give credence to what the Suns have been able to do. Obviously a league best record and having those head to head wins. I think as we start hitting this point in the season, they do say that real NBA season starts after Christmas. So we're a couple rankings updates away from that point, but I've been really impressed with the Suns. Another team that's been really impressive, of course, has been the Bulls. And one thing that you said very early on is you wanted more time to pass before giving the Bulls the credit that they deserve. Now they are a 17 and eight, which is one game behind in the loss column behind the Brooklyn Nets. On your last rankings update, you had them at seven, which is a spot behind the Jazz, a spot behind the Heat, and a spot behind the Bucks. Currently, they have a better record than the Bucks, but I think you still probably value the Bucks a little bit more. So I'm going to be tentative and say, do you think that they could potentially jump to the top five, which is currently where the Heat are? And the Bulls are back, baby. The Bulls are, are very, very good. If you had told me at the start of the year, DeMar DeRozan would be second in the NBA in scoring this year. I would have said that would be absolutely insane, but apparently Greg Popovich didn't know how to use DeMar DeRozan correctly. And and now DeMar DeRozan is better than Zach Levine. He's going to make an all-star team for the first time in a couple of years. It's, it's quite remarkable how these things happen, but yeah, career revitalization for DeMar DeRozan, not something I had planned coming into the year. The Bulls are better than I thought they were. And I said this with the Bengals. I said it with, uh, I believe the Chargers earlier this year, better than I thought they were. And that's pretty good for Chicago at this point. Are they an NBA finals contender? Absolutely not. But they weren't planning on that at the start of the season. If you would have told Bulls fans, you would have gotten the sixth seed at the start of the year. They would have been elated, I imagine. And the Bulls, I think, are like the third or the second seed right now that in the Eastern Conference. Not that like that matters. They're number two right now. Thank you. They're second in the East. Not that that matters at this point in the season. I think the Grizzlies were the second seed in the Western Conference a couple years ago at this time, but even still, Chicago better than I thought. I feel like it's semantics to say whether they're better than the Heat or not. The teams are built very similarly between Miami and Chicago. That would be a really, really fun matchup to see in the playoffs. But Chicago, if we're going to do six top five teams, then Chicago is definitely a top five team. You give them a lot of credit uh, for how well they've played so far this season. I don't think it's going to last like this. I still don't think it's sustainable for Chicago because there's been years of sample size that suggests Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan and uh, I guess Vucevic technically. Vucevic, empty stat Nikola Vucevic being the lead players on a team will eventually start to come back down to earth, but maybe they'll be a four seed. Maybe they'll be a five seed. Maybe they'll match up with the Miami Heat in the playoffs. At some point, the Bucks will pass them in record because the Milwaukee Bucks have played better basketball this year than even the Chicago Bulls. They just had a COVID scare 
scare and a long road trip mixed in that knocked them down a bit on the win-loss column. But Chicago, top five team. Now, are there seven top five teams that I have right now? Absolutely. But they're a top five team. Congratulations, Chicago. You are in that second tier of teams that are hopefully expecting to win a first round playoff series. Let's talk about a team that you had at 10 in this last update, the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Denver Nuggets are currently 11 and 12, the eighth seed in the West. And there are teams that you have behind them in the rankings that now currently have a better record than them, such as the Mavericks, who you had at 13, the Clippers, who you had at 11, even the Grizzlies, where you had at 21. Are any of those teams projected to go ahead of the Nuggets in this next update? Mavericks, probably the one that you said right off the bat that's probably there. Uh, These were done before we got the news that Michael Porter Jr. is done for the season. And not only that Michael Porter Jr. is done for the season, that it's a back issue, which is like DEFCON 9 code red for the Denver Nuggets, because the whole reason they were able to get Michael Porter Jr. in the first place was because he had chronic back injuries in high school and in college. Michael Porter Jr. would have been drafted number one in his class and this is a class that includes Zion Williamson I believe no maybe it was the year before maybe maybe he was 2018 maybe it was one year before Zion Williamson but even still Michael Porter Jr. was the number one high school recruit coming out and back injuries end up being a problem for him at Missouri and the fact that he has back injuries now after they just gave him 200 million dollars is total just chaos panic time for the Denver Nuggets Um, so if you take out Michael Porter Jr. the Denver Nuggets are a second round exit team similar to the Chicago Bulls, who have obviously played very well to start the season, similar to the Dallas Mavericks, who hope they can win a playoff series this year. Similarly to, you know, the Utah Jazz, I guess, they hope they can win a playoff series this year. If a matchup works out well for them, they can make it to the second round. Same as the Miami Heat, same as the Philadelphia 76ers, teams like that hope to make it to the next round. Denver still is that because they have the MVP and the second best player of his generation in Nikola Jokic. But at the same time, that only will get them so far without the supporting cast around them. So yeah, Denver, just bad luck with injuries this year. Yeah, I think they're still probably like top 12, top 13 in the NBA right now, which is again, good enough to get you to the playoffs and uh, first round matchup against the Utah Jazz. Even without Michael Porter Jr., they could probably still beat the Jazz in a seven game series. Might be tough, but they could do it. Well, let's play this out. So you said the Mavericks would jump them, them head to head against the Clippers today. Ooh, Clippers. Let's see. The Clippers did they did just get a win. I would go Nuggets. Nuggets. I would would still go Nuggets. They do have the best player in the court, which I guess you would say is the advantage there. But ever so slightly, it's not like the Clippers have tremendous depth either. Like the Nuggets are one of the least deep teams in the NBA, but it's not as if the Clippers have tremendous depth either. I am inclined to agree with that one there. All right. I'm going to let you do a victory lap here to close out this segment. The Washington Wizards, as you mentioned, they are on a little bit of a skid. They're currently 14-11, which drops them to the fifth seed in the (laughs) East after just being the two seed in the East as of a couple weeks ago. So Washington fans who may or may not have been angry about how things went in the past for you guys are being ranked 12, despite having the second best record in the the Eastern Conference. This is the good flip side of this is that you guys can have an eight game skid where where you go two and seven and nine games or three and eight and 11 games, and you're not going to drop that far. This is the beautiful flip side of being nuanced is you guys can totally fall off the 
face of the earth, you're not going to fall that far. You're going to probably still be in the top 16 despite your losing streak. This is what I call market correction. This is regression to the mean. I, at least I felt very confident in saying, y'all weren't that good. You just really, really outperformed to start the season. This is a market correction. You guys are probably going to be fighting at the end of the year to not make the play-in tournament. And that's fine. You guys traded Russell Westbrook to start the year for players who are not as good as Russell Westbrook. Over a long sample size, that'll correct itself unless one of those players becomes as good as Russell Westbrook, which sure, if you want to believe Montrez Harrell is a very efficient player, that that'll maximize what Russell Westbrook brings in literally averaging a triple-double, fine. But when the going gets tough in these situations, you do want to have that one guy you can count on. For the Wizards, that's Bradley Beal and not a whole lot else. And if Bradley Beal is your best player, you're probably fighting with the Hornets for the play-in game. If LaMelo Ball is their best player, Gordon Hayward is their best player, those teams feel like relatively comparable. So it's market correction for the Wizards but it doesn't mean you're going to like plummet to 22nd in the power rankings. You're only going to fall a little bit. This is the beauty of being nuanced in your evaluations. The only oddity I have a problem with is counting on Russell Westbrook. Come on, man. <laughs> it's fair, but Russell Westbrook, this is the same thing with Ben Simmons. Everyone has the jokes on the internet. Russell Westbrook is still a very good player. Russell Westbrook is still a very good <sighs> basketball player. I'm sure there's some analytics and there's some statistics to back up your reasoning there. But I tell you, every time I watch Russell Westbrook, it's not enjoyable to me. I don't know what it is. I just can't get into Russell Westbrook games. And the Lakers, I mean, I don't have a problem with them being top 10 this week. They relatively treaded water, which has basically been what they've done all season. They just got a big win against the Celtics. They had LeBron James missing a couple games in that stretch because of a faulty COVID test. So the Lakers, they did what they had to do to at least retain their nine spot in your rankings. If you move them around anymore, then I, I guess I don't really have any arguments for or against it other than yeah, we'll see how Laker, they play Lakers when they finally get together. Lakers problem this year is that they just don't play good defense and that's, you know, tough break for them. That's going to, it's going to come back to bite them once they play teams that can actually take advantage of that instead of playing like Sacramento or playing Boston, who is, you know, their fine team this year uh, or the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Orlando magic. Once they play teams, like Phoenix and Golden State and Utah who can actually take advantage. It's crazy that I'm saying Utah in this context, but yeah, teams that can actually take advantage of bad defense. Uh, it'll come back to bite the Lakers eventually, but maybe by then they'll have switched up the roster or they'll go to the buyout market and try and bring people in or they'll you know, oh, trade more old guys. That's exactly what this locker room needs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what's your alternative option? You're going to trade Kent Bazemore? Does Kent Bazemore get you a lot in the trade market? <laughs> I don't think there is any great options. I think the Lakers team is just kind of what it is at this point. If they can trade any assets, I just don't know what any assets they have that they can really use to acquire someone of worth. People have floated the idea, can they trade Russell Westbrook? Who's trading for Russell Westbrook right now? There would there will be teams that trade for Russell Westbrook, but not what the, the Lakers would be selling low at that point because Russell Westbrook's value is really low. So they'd be better served just holding on to him and letting it play all the way out and, and then see what happens once they get to the playoffs with all three of them being healthy at this point. Because if you're going to sell low on Russell Westbrook and just dump the contract, there's, Russell Westbrook is still a very good player. <laughs> People listening to this, Russell Westbrook is still a very good back basketball player just because he's not what Russell Westbrook used to be doesn't mean Russell Westbrook is still not a very very good basketball player I will defer to you as the NBA analyst
analyst of this podcast, but I will say that from a casual observer standpoint, Russell Westbrook, he just ain't it for me, man. Anthony Davis yeah. too. I mean, he I guess has, you he would has say a terrible he's been, jump shot. Yeah. I guess Anthony yeah. Davis too, you would say he's been somewhat of a disappointment this year. You would have loved for him to pick up the slack while LeBron was missing all those games. And he just doesn't feel like a top five player a good chunk of the time. Like he is a top five player in terms of his abilities and skill set, but there's some stretches there where you just love for him to take over. I I find myself agreeing with what Chuck said in this most recent inside the NBA, where it's like, where have you been, man? This is your team now. So the Lakers, I don't know if you remember this as well, and maybe people at home don't, but remember when the Lakers were winning the championship in the bubble and, and everyone was starting to have the conversation about going forward, is this the time where Anthony Davis you know, becomes the number one and LeBron becomes the number two? And that's the way that the Lakers are going to continue this run for however long it's going to be. Now the bubble time frame messes things up a bit because it was only like 13 months ago, but at the same time, this is now two full seasons since that, and it's pretty clear still the Lakers go as far as LeBron James goes. Now, for better or for worse in that situation, it's a pretty good dilemma to have is you go as far as LeBron James goes. Might be one of the best bets to make in the history of sports is your team goes as far as LeBron James takes it. But at the same time, this is now two times in three seasons, LeBron's had a season-ending injury. Again, anything can happen later on in the season with any of those guys with injuries, and that's kind of why they brought Russell Westbrook in in the first place. But I think if you put all three of them together, the Lakers can still win a series against even the Warriors and the Suns. Like they wouldn't be favored in the series, but if you put all three of them together, there's still a chance that that can happen because the people I've heard, especially being in a lot of group chats with Lakers fans coming from, you know, Southern California and such, I don't know what the alternatives people want are. They're like, Russell Westbrook is terrible. I'm like, would you rather have had Buddy healed? Like it's Russell Westbrook maybe playing not as well as you thought he was, but he's still not, he's still better than Buddy healed. One thing I've heard floated listening to some Lakers podcast is the idea of having Russell Westbrook come off the bench and play primarily with the second unit. So it makes them a little bit more balanced in terms of their ability to score when LeBron and AD aren't on the court. Then you have Russell Westbrook on the court or you have some combination of the three, uh, two out three of that working at one time. Whereas right now, um, there's somewhat of a conflict when you have all three of them coming out the gate as starters. I think the, the concern there for the Lakers also is if all three of them are going to play together, which we haven't seen very much this year, but if all three of them are going to play together and the defense teams are going to play is just, we're going to just let Russell Westbrook stand on the perimeter and just like catch. And then they're going to drop back to the free throw line and just dare him to shoot. If they're going to play the, the Giannis defense against Westbrook and just defend the drive all the way. Um, the alternative options for the Lakers are either do that strategy or have Russell Westbrook play center and then have Anthony Davis play basically like a four, which the best case scenario for the Lakers is Anthony Davis play center three shooters, LeBron, well, LeBron or Westbrook. So I guess LeBron Westbrook, two shooters and Anthony Davis as the, the, the sole center. But Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center for the Lakers. So Anthony Davis wants to kind of be like a, a middle of the court guy, shoot mid-range jumpers because Anthony Davis might be one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. He wants to post up from, from seven feet out or 10 feet out and shoot mid-range jumpers more than he wants.
wants to be catching lobs and dunking, even though I've seen Anthony Davis literally go 14 and a half feet in the air to catch a lob and dunk it. So isn't he shooting it, something gross, like 19% from three point range this season as well? Yeah. Anthony Davis is not a good three point shooter. This is the other part of that, but he's a very good mid range jump shooter. And so if you just want Anthony Davis to catch lobs, that would be the best version of the Lakers offense is because Anthony Davis is just bigger, stronger, faster than everyone else on the court. He's also very skilled. It's what makes Anthony Davis one of the top 10 players in the NBA. And if they want to do that, that's the best version of their offense. It's just Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center except for very strategic moments in the playoffs. And so if Anthony Davis is not going to be there, they'd be better served doing what the uh, what the Rockets and the Wizards did at the very end by making Russell Westbrook the de facto center because Russell Westbrook still averages like 11 rebounds a game, even though he's only like six foot five. You know, you kind of wonder where the leadership is at that point where you have a player that doesn't want to play a position when you know it's in the best interest of the team. In fact, if you want to say that this should have been Anthony Davis's team moving forward, if you have a way to help your team and you're deferring not to do it because of some weird ego or pride or whatever reason that he has for not wanting to play center, maybe he's worried about getting hurt, then that's kind of an indictment on his character. And you mentioned right now you are betting on LeBron James. When LeBron James is gone, and I'm sure we'll have that conversation down the road, what did the Lakers turn into at that point with a purely Anthony Davis-led team? You have to think that the best case scenario for them is that they could get someone else in there, another A guy in free agency, because obviously we saw, and we know the New Orleans is just a functional franchise, don't get me wrong, but we saw Anthony Davis-led Pelicans teams, and the best situation there was that one playoff series we put up 50 in the first round. Let me blow your mind even more on that. LeBron James is going to outlast Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, because LeBron James signed a four-year contract extension. Oh, LeBron James, LeBron James, take out till, here. LeBron James is going to play till he's 42. Anthony Davis might still be there, might not, but LeBron James is going to retire a Los Angeles Laker. And that might mean LeBron going on the retirement tour of like teams that are the seven or eight seed in the Western conference and Anthony Davis choosing to finish his career somewhere else or injuries finally succumb to Anthony Davis to the point of him not wanting to play center. I think it's more like Anthony Davis disagrees with people who say he'd be better served playing center. And I think both options are fine. Anthony Davis at the four makes your team significantly better. Anthony Davis at the five makes your team significantly better. He's Anthony Davis. He's one of the great shooters within 15 feet in the NBA and also seven foot one and can jump with a wingspan that catches lobs 15 feet in the air. He's Anthony Davis. He's ridiculously good at basketball. <laughs> I think Anthony Davis just disagrees on the fact that he's better at the five than he is at the four. And he's got an argument to make for it. As long as he makes X number of shots from, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet, even like six feet, little hook shot lobs instead of dunks. If he makes a certain number of shots, probably right. Anthony Davis is better served at the four. It's just, if if we're doing this purely analytically, the dunk is an easier shot than the 12 footer. But if Anthony Davis is shooting more volume 12 footers instead of just catching lobs and going to the free throw line, then you could make the argument the other way in favor of Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is just 
would rather play a more versatile game than just stand under the basket and catch lobs. You can make the argument for both sides. But yeah, LeBron James probably outlasts Anthony Davis in Los Angeles. That's the hot take there. You heard it here first, folks. But there was some rumors, too, that they were even considering trading Anthony Davis in this offseason, or at least some prominent analysts made it a point to say, Damian Lillard for Anthony Davis, would that be a good trade? So there is some credence to your theory there. Okay, let's close out. Let's get into our NFL pick'em this week. Coming off a good week for myself, I must say. Thank you, John Harbaugh, for going for the two-point conversion. That saved me. And thank you for the elements as 50-mile-per-hour wins. Yes, I will give you credit for helping me get that win in the Patriots game there. I, I am okay with this one, though, because over on Take It Easy's pick'em pool this week, I hedged both of my bets and took the Steelers at plus four and a half and the Patriots at plus three, and it led me to a perfect 5-0 and week in our other pick'em pool. So I hedged my bets on both of the losses here. Well, we both ended up missing on the... Bengals and Chargers game so did end up going four and one on the week because of that one and that one was probably the most disappointing out of it because it was the one where we thought we had all the right analysis in there but that was another one of good analysis bad result as the Chargers actually showed up to play in Cincinnati and put it on them put a whooping on them so I guess going into this week um, rather than going in a particular order Kyle I'll let you choose which game should we start off with here oh this is a good question here so I don't really care very much about the 49ers, so we'll, we'll, we'll delay that one a little bit. Maybe it'd be better to get the worst one out of the way first here. Can we, can we talk about my beloved Patrick Mahomes and how the, the Kansas City Chiefs have been kicking ass here over the past few weeks after everyone wanted to write them off and say they'd struggle to make the playoffs, and now they are the number one seed. I know, I know they didn't win by that many against the Denver Broncos, but Patrick Mahomes did just enough to get me a five-point victory in fantasy last week, so I'm still okay with it. Well, I'm happy to hear he got you a victory because he didn't get me a victory because if he continues to have weeks where he doesn't throw a single passing touchdown not a lot of fantasy owners will get a victory in that one in fact there is legitimate discussions we had should I start Kirk Cousins over Patrick Mahomes this week because that is one thing that I am debating as I head into this game because currently if you're a fantasy owner you should know the two of his last eight games, Patrick Mahomes has not exceeded 20 fantasy points. Two I love that. This is, this, is, this is similar to the conversation we just had about Lakers fans where they're like, Russell Westbrook is terrible. And they're like, well, would you rather have Buddy Heald? It's like, Patrick Mahomes is inconsistent. I'm like, compared to Kirk Cousins, the most inconsistent quarterback I've ever seen other than Carson Wentz. Listen, if I can decide on gain at least a somewhat guaranteed 15 points versus a bottoming out with a six or seven point week there is a discussion be had there now the alternative discussion here is they are facing the Raiders this week so two of the last eight weeks one of those last eight weeks was against the Raiders and one of those games he threw five passing touchdowns when he went against this defense just a few weeks ago and it was during that preview that I did make the bold claim that I didn't see the Chiefs competing for a Super Bowl this year. Now, that's regardless of what their record was. That's regardless if they win the division. I did not see this team as a Super Bowl team. Now, have I backed off of that? No, I have not. Because I still don't have faith in this offense. The fact that this that they've been getting exposed consistently week after week, week after week, with this halo coverage, as they're calling it, for Travis Kelsey, and of course, the two-deep safety that has neutralized Tyreek Hill. Hill has been in a little bit of funk. He's dropping passes that he doesn't normally drop. Patrick Mahomes is not taking the easy dump offs. And you were expecting a little bit more of them coming off of a bye week. Andy Reid off a bye week, guys. Come on. They should have put about 50 against the Broncos. Now, I understand it's mostly expectations versus reality. 
our expectations of what Patrick Mahomes is. He set our expectations too high. I mean, an MVP season, 50 passing touchdowns year after year after year. And here we are in this 2021 season where it just doesn't look the same. I mean, I mentioned it out the gate here. Two straight games without a passing touchdown. That would have been unheard of for 2019 Patrick Mahomes, for 2020 Patrick Mahomes. And yet it's happening. Now, they're going against this Raiders team that... They lost Kenyon Drake for the year. They're banged up defensively. Darren Waller has a knee and back issues. Carl Nasip has injuries. Corey Littleton has injuries. Denzel Perryman has injuries. So they might get another scheduling break in facing the Raiders at the right time. We've also mentioned the Raiders' problems where they have uh, Rich Vespaccio and Greg Olson trying to piece it together in the wake of John Gruden getting fired. You're missing your number one wide receiver on the year because of an unfortunate accident that the last thing that they would have expected coming into the year. So they get a break here in the sense of when they're facing the Raiders. Now, I should say the last time the Raiders went into Arrowhead, they did get the victory, but this is a Raiders team that just so depleted that I can't confidently put my best on them because they're just not the same Raiders team that started the year. They're not the same Raiders team that was 3-0. and They're a Raiders team that I believe has lost seven of their last 10 games and faces the end of the year where they face the Chargers again. They face the Chiefs. They face the Colts. They face the Browns. They face a lot of teams that are going to determine whether or not they can make the playoffs. Part of my concern here is with how inconsistent the Chiefs offense has been, I kind of wonder if that's going to cost Eric the enemy any coaching opportunities this year, because we did see him and Andy Reid get in somewhat of a talking dispute in that game against the Broncos. So I kind of wonder what is the issues there. I don't think the Chiefs are making adjustments. Now, can the Raiders make adjustments from what killed them a couple weeks ago? That is, I think, going to be the big determining factor in this game. I think you know which way I'm going to lean for this one, but I think in the interest of just kind of keeping it interesting here, we'll stagger it one. Last week, you went with all the picks first. The week before, I went with all the picks first. Since you're still leading me, we'll go literally, you go this one, I go next one, you go next one. That way it's three to two, okay? So am I Kyle, am I up two games right now? Is that I would say two games because I remember it was about more or less a four game lead and then obviously I picked up two games this past weekend. Okay. That's good. Good to know at this point. So yeah, no, no surprises here. Of course, I'm going with the chiefs uh, in the spirit of making the joke. Cause I'm always looking for an angle to make the joke. I will say uh, same analysis as la- as the last time the chiefs played the Raiders, which is on principle, the Raiders are not allowed to be good. And uh, for that reason, I will take the Kansas city chiefs to win uh, regardless of whether uh, Carl Nazib or Darren Waller or Corey Littleton play for the Raiders on Sunday. I will play devil's advocate here for for Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy so much that similarly to how Bill Belichick went for every single play being a run on Monday. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs have basically said, we are going to play to the strengths of the teams, or sorry, play against the weaknesses of the defense that we are playing more than we're going to play into our strengths. Uh, so for the Kansas City Chiefs, that meant running the ball a lot against the Denver Broncos, controlling time of possession at the best they could. Because again, the reason that game was so low scoring is because the Denver Broncos, I cannot stress this enough. I've made this joke on my podcast on the Instagram and now here the Denver Broncos had a 20 play 89 yard drive that took up 11 minutes and ended with zero points in the second quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs when the Chiefs had the ball in the first quarter for 75 percent of the time they went up 10 nothing against the Denver Broncos if they had kept that up consistently for the rest of the game they probably win by 30 points instead of only winning by I believe 14 which was still enough to cover the spread last week 
So Kansas City is playing into the weaknesses of the teams that they're playing against the Raiders. That probably means they can take the top off a little bit more. Maybe this is a 35 point week for the Kansas City Chiefs. They can kind of just play with whatever they have. But the, the part that gives me hope for the Kansas City Chiefs that they can make the Super Bowl this year. And I say hope knowing that I'm a Mahomie, not as a Kansas City Chiefs fan myself, but love me some Patrick Mahomes. Uh, obviously, it's the only jersey I have back there in the NFL. But the Kansas City Chiefs, the thing that gives me hope that they will make the Super Bowl in the AFC, less confident than I've been in years, but still, I think they're the best team in the AFC at this point. They can run the football very well this year. I don't know if that has to do with the offensive line being improved or Clyde Edwards Alaire being healthy finally, but they can run the ball really, really well. And they could quietly do this last year. They just didn't need to ever do it last year because Patrick Mahomes was getting lucky with the turnovers until about December of last year. They can run the ball really, really well, even against teams that have stronger rush defenses. Now the Denver Broncos, they don't have a stronger rush defense. Obviously that's kind of why they went with that strategy. Buffalo doesn't have the strongest rush defense, but they ran the ball very well against Baltimore early on in the season, which I understand is a while ago into the year, New York giants. They ran the ball very well, sneaky, good rush defense for the New York giants this year. Like the, obviously I say giants defense and you're like, what? That's awful that they've actually been okay. Stopping the run defense this year. They've been top half in the league. So, Kansas City can run the ball even against teams that are pretty good at stopping the run. Not going to say they're the best running game in the league. They're not Baltimore. They're not the Arizona Cardinals this year. They're not the Green Bay Packers, who have been one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. But they've been pretty good this year at doing that. So that combination is just more so playing the matchups that they're going to play. And if anyone wants to start doubting Andy Reid's ability to coach offensive football, that is, I will take the odds on the other side, no matter what you're giving me, if people are going to start betting against Andy Reid being able to read offenses and read defenses and, and game situations. So but he's not the primary it, play caller anymore. He hasn't been for a couple of years. This is this is fair, but it doesn't mean that Andy Reid doesn't have a certain level of influence around offensive game planning for the week. Sometimes they run drives that are already predetermined. Andy Reid and Bienemy are going back and forth. I actually haven't seen the video of Reid and Bienemy's. Uh, what are we calling it? A kerfuffle? Just a little uh, bit of a gentlemen's disagreement on the sidelines you know we saw even uh josh mcdaniels and bill Belichick kind of get in the ear of mac jones similar to that maybe it's not a big deal maybe it's just a little bit of frustration but we have seen the chiefs offense struggle in recent weeks yeah, for sure. They they have not passed the ball really at all. Tyreek Hill has been pretty much absent for like a month now, especially for people in fantasy. I know they're complaining a lot about Tyreek Hill now because it's just it's been brutal out here with Tyreek Hill on your team. So yeah, I, I think I'm I'm betting on the Chiefs to to right the ship. A matchup against the Patriots would be so damn fascinating if it gets to that point in the playoffs, whether an AFC championship or otherwise. See, that's why I have my concerns about the Chiefs as far as actually being a Super Bowl team this year. Considering that they have struggled so much to make adjustments, I look at the Patriots and what they've been able to do. Their entire season has been built around adjustments, adjusting around a rookie quarterback, adjusting around new pieces on the offense, changing the entire offense from what it was last year, changing from a power run game that they had to devise to being able to go back to their previous recipe for success. Those short passes, keeping everything um, pretty time control offense there. And plus, we've seen Bill Belichick in have success against Andy Reid in the past. You would say Andy Reid has faced him a number of times now at this point, but if I was to bet on a team that's going to make the right adjustments and advance in the playoffs, right now I would take the Patriots in Foxborough. The Patriots are plagued by the same 
problem that the Georgia Bulldogs had going into this season, and it's still the same thing, which is low upside offense, which is when the going gets tough, their offense kind of crumbles a little bit. Because if you had said like six weeks ago, I'd say of the teams that are in the playoffs right now, Patriots probably have one of the least talented offenses in the NFL. Very good offensive line, which obviously changes the math a little bit as we're seeing from the Colts right now, where offensive line gets healthy. They win five out of six games. Jonathan Taylor's an MVP candidate. So offensive line being good helps, but quarterback, running back, skill position player combo of the 14 playoff teams, 12 or 13 have better players than the Patriots. And so that's the part that's concerning there. People listening to this, people viewing this on a segment are going to think I'm a Chiefs hater. I'm a Patrick Mahomes hater. No, I went into this year with very high expectations of the Chiefs just based off seeing them the last couple of years. The problem is I can also see them this year and tell that there's something that's not right with their offense. See that there's something that's not quite there. Now, what I can see also is their defense has made some large improvements and I haven't officially announced my pick yet. So I'll just get out of the way. I am taking the Chiefs. So anyone that thinks I'm a Chiefs hater, I am taking the Chiefs in this game. I mentioned the Raiders injuries that they're facing, but also part of the thing is with an improving Chiefs defense going against a Derek Carr-led offense that just, I like Derek Carr. He has one of the top five arm talents in the league, but he always shrinks at this point of the year. And you thought maybe it was a Gruden issue. Maybe it was the previous regime's issue. I think at this point, we're starting to get to the point where it's just a Derek Carr issue. Derek Carr, later in the year when the game seemed to matter, seems to just regress because he still is able to make those throws, but he starts to turn them down. He starts stops being aggressive. There was three opportunities in the Raiders' last game against Washington where he could have hit Deshaun Jackson deep, and he turned those down for checkdowns. And if he doesn't have Darren Waller in the field, his security blanket, then who else is he targeting? Brian Edwards, who hasn't lived up to his draft pedigree? Obviously, Henry Hunter Ruggs Renfro. is long gone. Hunter yeah, Renfro. Hunter Renfro. <laughs> Hunter Renfro is his next man up, and Hunter Renfro is a fine talent. In fact, Hunter Renfro, if they redrafted that NFL draft, I'm pretty sure he would have went in the top three rounds rather than going in the fifth or sixth round like he did but it's not enough they need Derek Carr it's, to be aggressive Renfro. when they were winning early in the year when they were on that three and oh stretch it was because Derek Carr was winning them games Derek Carr was putting him in a position to win and he hasn't done that for about a month now and I don't see that changing going into Arrowhead going into a December environment this is another moment too where I know you said as a Chargers fans you hate the idea that the Chargers can't travel east travel to the northeast where it gets a little colder Derek Carr has never shown that in his career, the ability to do it. He is just not. Um, maybe being a Fresno State quarterback, going to Las Vegas, going to Oakland, never having to see snow somewhere. I guess Mac Jones never seeing snow prior to last week's game. Um, but Derek Carr, his December record has been terrible. One of the league's worst, and particularly in outdoor environments. I mean, they lost that game to the Jets a couple of years ago when they were the heavy favorites because he could not compete in that weather. And he's lost multiple games in December at Arrowhead because he just can't get it done in that weather. So yeah, I'm on the Chiefs. You're on the Chiefs. Any other closing thoughts on this one? I've got three for you real quick here. One, the good news for Patriots low upside offense is that the Chiefs have a low upside defense. Probably not going to get Sorensen pick sixes every week. If you're if you're balancing the Kansas City Chief Chiefs, the Chief Fence, the Kansas City Chiefs defense, if you're balancing the Chief Fence out for them. Uh, number two, uh, it's not that you're a Chiefs hater. It's that you're a Raiders realist. That is an understandable reason to pick the Kansas City Chiefs. We all know the Raiders are not allowed to be good at football. And three, Derek Carr is somehow still on pace to have the fourth most passing yards in the history of the NFL this season. Yeah, all things that factor up when you are losing games, you do tend to throw for more yards, but. 
Yep. Derek Carr, he's just not the same Derek Carr that we saw very early on. One thing I will say is I know the Chiefs are dealing with another injury in their secondary, so maybe that's something that hurts them moving forward. But overall, I, I think that this is just a good week for Kansas City to continue their winning streak. Fun fact before we close out, Andy Reid in his entire tenure in Kansas City has had a five-game winning streak every single season. So we're seeing that <laughs> in this year. So. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Just tells you how consistent they've been in the Andy Reid era in Kansas City. So Philadelphia fans, close your eyes and turn away because that's the coach that you let go. Yep. Chiefs, Chiefs would be my favorite in a year that no one has better than like a 30% chance of winning the AFC. The, 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 the Chiefs would still be my favorites to win the conference. And that is only because I don't trust anyone in that conference. Okay. In this next game, let's just get it out of the way. You said you're not the most excited about it. I'm not the most excited about it. Let's talk the San Francisco 49ers going into Cincinnati. Uh, the second straight road game for the 49ers. My main thing that I worry about going into this game, actually a couple things here. So a couple of weeks ago, they lost Mike McGlinchey. Well, they get to face Trey Hendrickson, who now has eight straight games with a sack with right tackle Tom Compton, who got his first start with the 49ers last year as his first NFL start in two, three years, I believe, going against one of the league's leading pass rushers. That's not a great combo. What also isn't a great combo is Emmanuel Mosley, our starting cornerback, who actually started turning into a really good cornerback for us over the last stretch of games. He's out meaning Josh Norman and Deontay Johnson are going to be our leading corners going against Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. Bright side, Joe Burrow might be a little bit banged up. He was throwing the football around today, limited snaps today, but he had not thrown the football since the game against the Chargers. I don't know if you saw the images, but Joe Burrow's hand swelled up quite a bit. I don't know if he banged his hand off of someone's helmet, got it stepped on, but either way, potentially facing a fracture or something going on there. I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad hand break. I don't like my Niners chances in this game. That's for sure. Based off what's going on. But again, it's just, I can't overreact to the Seattle game. How much do I look at the Seattle game and judge the entire Niners team based off of it? Because if I said, if we lost to Seattle in a season, as our entire season over, I would say that every single season, because we just consistently lose to Seattle. They're the boogeyman. They're the monster under our bed. And the Niners just kind of have to get over that. I know it limits them overall, as far as their long-term projections, that they just can't beat a division rival consistently year in and year out but that does not affect how you view them in the games I mean prior to the Seattle game they were looking great obviously a big win against Minnesota big win against the Rams who they own blowing out the Jaguars as they should I just hope for them and it doesn't look like it's going to happen that they could get Debo Samuel back Debo Samuel the only wide receiver to have a thousand yards five rushing touchdowns five receiving touchdowns only three other players have had that stat and he is the only wide receiver receiver to ever have that set. So puts a lot of pressure on you, puts a lot of pressure on Kittle, the running game with Elijah Mitchell. That is the key for the Niners offense as a whole, because the Niners offense, what they want to do, they want to have 40 rushing attempts in a game. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's how you win games, that's how you win games. We saw with Mac Jones on Monday night football, you could win not having to throw the ball necessarily. You could win with Jimmy Garoppolo having 20 to 30 passing attempts. That's their formula for success. Can they do it against the Bengals? I would have loved if the Bengals were coming off a win. That's the problem. I would have loved if the Bengals were coming off a win going into this game but instead they have to go in and have a disappointment game against the los angeles chargers with that said i'm still going to do it 
going to hang my hat on my team here. I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers to have a rebound performance. All right. The 49ers are uh, such a confusing team this year. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals are probably an even more confusing team this year. This game is gross and disgusting, and uh, I will technically watch it because it'll be on during the red zone. So I imagine it'll pop in a few times. This game's especially important for the 49ers that they, they they win time of possession because of how quick the Bengals offense can work sometimes. I think that the 49ers are probably better positioned going into this game simply because of that situation with their offense where Cincinnati for all their success on defense this year in the passing game they have not been that great stopping the run this year Uh, it's the reason that they're not an elite defensive unit in the NFL this year is they've been very good at stopping the pass but less than great at stopping the run so far this year so this could be a big moment for the 49ers uh, to to employ a, a Kyle Shanahan strategy of 20 play drives that take up 12 and a half minutes and lead to field goals. If Kyle Shanahan wants to do dumb stuff like that, this is the week you can get away with it. Other than obviously the Jaguars when he did it last time. Uh, This is a coin flip game. I'm just going to flip this coin right here that I have in my hands because this game is gross and disgusting. And uh, if it's heads, I'll take the Niners with you. If it's tails, I'll go contrarian and take the Bengals. I will let fate decide this one more than myself. It is heads. That means I'm with you on the 49ers as well. So uh, I, I was tempted to pick against you and let and play the um, the art of war style of let your opponent make the mistake and then you capitalize on it. Um, but I just said this game is disgusting and I'll let fate decide it. So uh, I am with old faithful this week, the San Francisco 49ers. If they win this game, how did they get there, Kyle? Probably very, very slowly about five field goals at a touchdown in there 22 to to 17 20 22 to to 14 very very slowly you know in our defense i don't think we've really played that game to that extent because in the previous three wins they did put up over 30 each of those games and they did put up 23 against the seahawks driving down to the one yard line only to be stopped on and i know you hate this but i have to say it that no holding call on third down against the Seahawks has been burning in my mind the entire week because that was one of the most disgusting no calls I think I've seen in a game in a while our guy Trent Sherfield in that moment was getting mugged just absolutely I think he had to go ask the other guy to get his wallet back after that one that's how bad it, he had the guy hanging off him I understand it's a series of events and you shouldn't leave it to one play at the end but first down 20 seconds left from the one yard line versus fourth down on your own five. That's a, that's a huge difference there. And I was definitely taken aback by that one. And that one hurt. But again, what can I expect? It's Niners Seahawks. I just have to move on. I just have to let it go. A little goose fraba, a little serenity now, because that's the only way I'm going to get through those weeks. I, I will say Debo Samuel being out makes me feel less confident in the 49ers going into this week because they have, for all the jokes we used to make about them just being an offense that just ran the ball all the time, they have really good weapons now. George Kittle and Debo Samuel is, you know, I know Kittle plays tight end, but that's two legitimate wide receiver ones that you have on your team right there. Coming so. off a 180-yard performance in the last game against the Seahawks, yeah, George Kittle had his best day of the season. You just wonder if Brandon Ayuk can step up more. If Ayuk can have a big game, then I think that that can also help the Niners elevate their performance in this one because Ayuk has moments throughout the year. He started off slow with 
seem to be in the doghouse, as Niners faithful call it. But he's come on a little bit in recent weeks. He's had performance of three for 91, four or five catches, six receptions here and there um, that have been part of the Niners like biggest weeks. If we could get a little bit of that from him, then we'll be in the right situation to succeed in this game. Let's see a Debo Samuel update just before we close here, just to kind of understand just what we're Just to fill at. real quick also, if you get a big game from Nick Bosa this week, that's going to be a big deal for the 49ers. Defensive line stepping up is going to very much help them get over the hump with the Let bankers. me ask you what you think about this one, because we discussed this on 49 Reasons. Listen, Nick Bosa, 12 sacks, 12 games coming off an ACL injury. How do you think he ranks in the comeback player of the year and the defensive player of the year rankings this year? Well, defensive player of the year, I think he's in like that second tier of guys that we say like, oh yeah, they've had good years, but he doesn't actually have a chance to win it. For comeback player of the year, you have to throw out some other names that are up there on the list. Because I think part I, of the I problem think... is generally leans quarterback, which I think will generally lean towards Dak. But again, 12 sacks, 12 games. You just don't hear that often coming off an ACL tear. Yeah, no, Nick Bosa, if there was any question about Nick Bosa just being ridiculously talented at football, they have been solved. The 49ers are going to reward him with a gigantic contract this offseason because that dude is unbelievable at football. Factors, I think, hurt Bosa. I think he's too quiet. I think Joey takes a little bit of shine off of him. And the Niners defense, while good, has been more middle of the pack this year. So I think those three factors have kind of made his name kind of float under the radar because I don't think a lot of fans knew the type of season he was really having, to be honest. I don't think a lot of yeah. casual NFL observers really knew that he was a double digit sack guy at this point of the year. He's having a better season than the year that got him defensive rookie of the year for context yeah. sake. Injury We've updates here. So Fred Warner returned to practice today. Debo Samuel still sidelined. So I would wager he doesn't play in this game, which considering he was averaging nine yards per rushing attempt, the Niners will miss him in the offense. I'll still take your 49ers I'll still pick them you have to the coin has decided you have to all right next yeah. game up Kyle since you're picking first which game are we going for oh I get to pick this one fun let's do let's do the uh the NFC East battle this week if this is uh if this is our game strategy here okay and this one is obviously the NFC East, so it proves to be very unpredictable. As we talk about a Washington football team that is currently on a four-game winning streak, shout out to Brian Johnson, grew up a Washington fan, grew up in the D.C. area, and got the game-winning kick. He is the fourth kicker for the WFT this season as they look to find a official play kicker for the rest of the season. I guess it would be a good thing if Brian Johnson could just lock it down. You know, one thing that speaking of season performances that flew under the radar in my mind, I didn't know that Antonio Gibson was the NFC's leading rusher heading into this week. And I think it's more of an indictment on the leading rusher category as a whole, because if you look at the NFC, Jalen Hurts is top five at the moment. Jalen Hurts, a non-running back, is currently top five in the rushing yards category for the NFC. The Washington football team, they're coming off a big win against those Las Vegas Raiders we mentioned earlier in the week. And what's more impressive is they've been able to put together some solid defensive performances without Chase Young, without Montez Sweat. They lost Landon Collins in this last game. Now, they might get Sweat back this week. He was coming back off a fractured jaw, so keep an eye out for that. And it sounds like Ron Rivera is very positive about Landon Collins being back in this game. So two big additions for the Washington defense. The Cowboys have been a team that's been sputtering. 
bothering. Obviously, they won on Thursday night. They've had two consecutive weeks of Thursday night football, playing in Thanksgiving and then playing against the Saints this past Thursday. So they have somewhat of a extra few days to prepare for this game. Not that both these teams aren't probably prepared as is. This is one of the oldest rivalries in the NFL. This is one of those rivalries that is talked about in the same vein of Ravens, Steelers, Bears, Packers. So I expect this overall to be a series split. Now I'm undecided as far as how I expect this game this week to go. Who's going to get the win? Who's going to get the loss? I'm torn here. Shout out to Jack Del Rio as he as he's got this defense <laughs> to really like perform over the last few weeks. I didn't expect that Jack Del Rio would be in another position where who knows if they're looking for another retread NFL candidate. Some teams might be willing to give him a call. I think he kind of got hosed a little bit with how his tenure with the Raiders ended because it seemed like Mark Davis already made up his mind that he wanted to hire John Gruden and it didn't matter what season Jack Del Rio had in the end. It was going to be Jack Del Rio on his way out. He has led both the Jaguars and the Raiders to the playoffs before. So Del Rio's actually had had a couple good NFL coaching tenures. Uh, either way, that's besides the point. The Cowboys, again, they, they lost three of their last four heading into that Saints game. How will they perform against Washington? Because Washington's now entering a stretch where they have five straight games against the NFC East. Yeah, this is this is an interesting place to be in if you're the Washington football team where they're in the playoffs right now, but no one really believes that they're good enough to make the playoffs because they still have Taylor Heineke and minimal weapons on their offense and injuries to their Whoa, defense this Terry year. Terry McLaurin disrespect there. Come on. I'm not saying Terry McLaurin's bad. I'm saying name another receiver on that Curtis team Samuel. besides Terry McLaurin. Oh, that's right. Curtis Samuel's back now. He was out most of he was out for a while there. I think it was like Cam Sims. And, and I think there's a Seals Jones somewhere in there. Logan Thomas, too, I would also say, who had a big time one-handed catch this past week. But I would also add that Logan Thomas might miss this game. So it's kind of a wash. Uh, Logan Thomas is out for season as of this morning. Uh, so Logan Thomas's season is over at this point. So yeah, he, w- he would qualify as well. Washington's going to go on a spending splurge this offseason and bring in some weapons and maybe a second running back and things like that. Maybe they'll finally fix the quarterback position. Maybe they'll go with Taylor Heineke. Who knows? It's kind of like where the Lions are right now, where it's like, we could get another quarterback or we could just stick with what we know. We could have Jared Goff for another year. We could have Heineke for another year. It's Here's fine. the problem. It's just... What did the Washington football team do to get better at the quarterback position this year? I think this that year, Jimmy Garoppolo nothing. or this coming year, I, I think yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo would be a potential upgrade. Aaron Rodgers, can they get into that sweepstakes? Would Russ no. be willing to go to Washington? No. I guess the other Washington. <laughs> See, so you eliminate them from the top two. I don't think they're going to get involved in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. I think, of course, tying Washington to Deshaun Watson, that just sounds gross just in principle. Well, I, I like the, I like the phrase that's going around the internet right now, which is hashtag stick it for picket. Uh, they they can uh. go get <laughs> See, even if you get Pickett or you get any rookie quarterback this coming year, I don't think they're going to come out ready to start. So you got to keep Taylor Heineke as a bridge, bare minimum. Sure. Yeah. Heineke's under contract for two more years. There's no reason to not get rid of him at this point. He's making middle level backup money. Good good piece to have. We haven't talked about Washington in like the last eight weeks or so. So I should do some actual Washington analysis here other than just laugh at their offense not being very good. Washington has won four games in a row. It was a really gross win against Hence the Raiders last week where it was like seven to six going into the fourth quarter in just a classic Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio game of just seven to 
six. We're going to win with game-winning field goals at the end and pass their fear. Or Derek Carr throwing a 60-yard Hail Mary that hit a guy in the hands and they still didn't win the game. So yeah, it was a, an interesting game for Washington. It feels like Washington's kind of scraped by. On the Cowboys side, I've been trying to figure out why Dallas is where they are this year. Because I was looking up DVOA stats yesterday because that's just something I do on my free time. I was looking up DVOA stats and the Cowboys are top five in offense and top 10 in defense this year in terms of DVOA, which would make, you know, by that metric, one of the best teams in the NFL. But I don't think of the Cowboys at all as one of the best teams in the NFL. But I think of them as a very, like, very good team this year. And so I'm thinking of Dallas and thinking about what keeps them from not being a great team. And it's the thing I've been saying all year that defense is very contingent on turnovers and that can sometimes mask your inefficiencies on defense. We saw that obviously with the Broncos game, the Raiders game this year. They've had poor defensive performances when they aren't generating turnovers, which again, a lot of teams will play worse. It's not like it's an end-all be-all that's only a Cowboys thing. And then I'm thinking about the injuries they had to wide receivers for two weeks with CeeDee Lamb against the Cowboys uh, and the Raiders. Amari Cooper was in the COVID protocol for one of those games, I think. And so that reminds me that the Cowboys have just had some bad luck in that respect over the past couple of weeks. And it's why I realized, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys are a significantly better team than the Washington football team. And I expect them to win and cover the spread because the Cowboys can score a lot of points. Now, in fairness to Washington, they've been uh, getting better as the season goes along on defense, which is, again, I think a product of their winning more games. And so it looks like they're playing better on defense, similarly to what happened with Miami. Miami, you can quantify it because Miami's allowed, I believe, like 55 total points in the last five games. And Washington, that number's gone slightly down, but they're still bottom half in defense this year. Um, but they started out the year ranked 28th in DVOA after the Falcons game. So <laughs> Chase Young gets hurt, Landon Collins gets hurt, and they slowly get better as defense. They're still below average, but they're slowly getting better as they win a few more games. Uh, I like the Cowboys to win this one this would lock up the division for them because they're already two games ahead of Washington right now so I think the Cowboys win this week and they spend the next five weeks kind of getting healthy and you know kind of going through the motions to get ready for a playoff game against either the the Cardinals or the Rams or maybe even the Saints or in a weird universe this Washington team again now, I mentioned it during our Chiefs preview that Andy Reid has had five game winning streaks in every year of his Kansas City tenure. Do I see the Washington football team as a good enough team to win a five game stretch? I'm going to lean with you. I'm going to say no. I think that they've had a good month and they've earned every bit of the credit that they've been given over this last month. Obviously, they're very much in the playoff picture, even if they don't win this division. They're currently the sixth seed if the season ended today. And the way they've played, I think it's more likely than not that they can walk up one of those wildcard spots because Minnesota is obviously coming off that loss to Detroit. So they might be a little bit in a death spiral at the moment. Philadelphia, we'll see what happens with their quarterback position as Minshew Mania takes the world once again. <laughs> and Washington, I think they just have a good locker room culture. I think that's what keeps them going because when you lose a guy like Chase Young- I don't think a, those words have ever been uttered one time, Washington. 
Washington has a good locker room culture. That has not been uttered in my entire lifetime. I didn't say they had an ownership, a good front office culture. I did say they have a good locker room culture. I think the I was players say, in this that might locker be the first room. Time it's true. You you might be right about this. I think with Ron Rivera, that was an adult big boy hire for them, and for the most part, it's paid off because obviously Ron got him to the playoffs last year, and they're looking like they're going to make it to the playoffs for the second consecutive year. Yes, we don't think of much of their upside and their ability to do anything when they get there. But I think that the fact that everyone on that team, I mean, you just watched that weird tradition they have of throwing a walnut against a wall or whatever that was about in their post-game <laughs> celebration. They just seem to like each other. And I think guys like Terry McLaurin, I was very impressed last year where Terry McLaurin had a big time post-game speech. You see even the young guys taking over and having a voice, having an opinion. I, th- I think that's good for them. I, th- I think that Washington's in a good place. Like you said, if they could just get a quarterback in there for the future, then that could really change how that team constructs moving forward. In this week, I, I just think that you're right. Dallas is the more talented team. Dallas overall is the more talented team. What can make or break it for the Dallas Cowboys? I think getting Tony Pollard more involved in this offense moving forward. Zeke has been a good running back for them for a while, but I think we need to call a spade a spade. Tony Pollard is the more explosive back. Tony Pollard needs more carries. Tony Pollard needs the ball in his hands more because yes, the Saints have one of the best running defenses in the league, but Tony Pollard, it made no difference to him. He was able to still carve them up here and there, whereas Zeke just looks like he's running into a wall. He just lacks that pure acceleration that he did when he first signed that contract for them. And then I, I could see a situation in which Washington gives up at least one big play to the wide receivers on Dallas. Because you look at what went wrong for them in that Las Vegas game, they allowed Hunter Renfro to beat them deep. Hunter Renfro is not exactly a guy who can burn you more often than not. I could see a situation in which a guy like one of their corners just gets taken deep by like CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper. They're dealing with injuries at linebacker this week. So if Dallas wants to get their running game more involved, well, take advantage of the fact that guys like Jam and Davis have been underperforming and they're a little bit banged up. Like I said, Montez Sweat being back would be a good addition for him, but coming off injury, how much performance are you going to get from Montez? And Montez, when he was in there, was having problems of over-pursuing quarterbacks as is. Can he refrain from doing that, allowing Zeke to escape the pocket and find one of his big-time wide receivers deep? That's going to be questions that the Washington football team has to answer if they want to get this victory. Like I said, I could see this being a split, but in the next game, I guess it's a determining factor of how much does Dallas need that game to proceed in the playoff picture, and does Dallas overlook them if they get this victory this week? We're both on Dallas, I guess, is the place to close it out on. Any last thoughts before we move on? I found it kind of weird that Washington was on a four-game win streak because it doesn't feel like they've been a dominant team. And so I went back. I was like, how did they get to this point? And it's the obviously the Buccaneers game where they forced all those turnovers, and it was one of the shocking results of the year. And then it was at Carolina with Cam Newton. It was barely beating the Seahawks. And then it was barely getting by the Raiders. And I look at that. I'm like, okay, I'm not tripping at this point that Washington is like better than I thought. No, I'm going to, I'm going to put it out here into the universe and maybe some angry YouTube commenters. There is not going to be a Washington football team playoff game this year. They they are not going to make the playoffs in the NFC. I don't know which team's going to take it from them. Might be the Saints, but the Saints have had a bunch of injuries. So that offense looks totally broken. Might be, God, could it be the Eagles? God, I would hate that so much. But uh, Washington is not going to make the playoffs this year. That is my proclamation here. Well, again, let's look at their stretch run here. So they face the Cowboys twice. They face the Giants, I think, one more time. And I think they face the Eagles twice in this stretch. Yep. So what record would they have to have to make the playoffs? 
nine and eight. And so they have to win three games. Okay. So can they four guarantee four guarantee three, they'd have to win tiebreakers to get in. So I think in your scenario, you're saying that they get swept by the Cowboys. Yes. Because if I'm saying they split with the Cowboys, then there's their three wins. They finish with nine wins. They probably make it because the NFC, I think you just need to get to nine wins to make the playoffs. Yep. Nine, nine would be with tiebreakers against like the saints or against the, who else is there? The 49ers are going to get in no matter what uh, the Vikings, maybe they, they tiebreaker with the Vikings at some point there. Uh, they already nine. beat the giants. So I guess we would say they'd have to beat the sweep, the giants in this situation. Of course, the last time they played against New York, it was that Dexter Lawrence offsides, which upon further review actually wouldn't have been technically on offsides. Yeah. And Daniel I Jones, for whatever reason, and always likes to have his best games against Washington. So I guess you can also say, even if they don't sweep the Cowboys, do you think the Giants just screw them over? Because the Giants seem like the type of team that screws over teams. It all just is gross. That's the, I, I've been calling it for three weeks. It's the bottomless pit of hell that is the seventh seed in the NFC. Uh, maybe they get it now that I think about it. But God, all of those teams are just so gross. Is it going to be Carolina? <laughs> is it going to be Cam Car- Out of all the teams... <laughs> I think Carolina, you eliminate because their offensive identity is gross and Cam Newton's well past his prime. If that's one thing we learned in his last game against Miami, he is well past his prime. The Eagles have the three easiest wins, strength though. of schedule down the stretch here. The Niners, you look at their remaining schedule. They face, of course, Cincinnati this week. They have one more game against the Rams. They face the Texans, Titans, and they also face the Falcons. I would say yeah, the I, Niners have three games that they can win in that stretch. You would say the Texans and Falcons are two that they should easily win. And you could maybe give an argument for the Thursday night game against the Titans where the Titans... At this point in time, you know, they're missing Derrick Henry. They're missing Julio Jones. They're missing A.J. Brown. If the Niners face them and they're still missing all three of those weapons, because rumors A.J. Brown or Julio might be back, then you would say the Niners go into that game the favorites. If the Niners could get to nine and eight, then they're probably the sixth seed. I think you just need to get to nine. So that's the match. Yeah, there. dang, they might actually get it then. That's that's unfortunate for all of us. We're all going to be losers if Washington makes the playoffs there. We're just, only losers just if on an eight and nine team makes it. If we have an eight and nine team in the playoffs, I think that's a real loser. Because if every team has a winning record, they've all played good enough football to get there. But what's the difference between eight and nine Washington and nine and eight Washington? Those are those are basically the same team. It's just they had one different bad jumping off sides moment or something like that. Are you discrediting a win in the NFL? Kyle, how dare you? Yes, pretty much. Yeah. It's a make or play the Jaguars. It's a make or miss league. It's a win or lose league. (laughs) Doesn't mean the game's not going to be fun when they're getting just absolutely walloped by Aaron Rodgers. You say wallop, (laughs) but again, remember this Bucks, the Bucks, they beat the Bucks this year. They gave the Bucks a playoff game last year. What if they get the Cowboys first round? Third time they get to face the Cowboys again? We know that's never an easy equation. It would be a rematch against the Packers and the Packers beat the shit out of them the last time they played. But you face a team a second time, you could get a little bit more topsy-turvy. It could be a closer game. Let me phrase it this way. What are the chances that a 6-10 and 10 team in the former NFL pre- pre-change here what are the odds that a six and ten team goes on the road and wins against a 12 and 14 if i give you just that what is the line that you're setting in favor of the home team 
probably somewhere on the lines of six and a half. And that's probably. about where the line would be. That Washington's going to be a six and a half point underdog against whoever they play in the playoffs. Listen, Kyle, we're talking about a year in which the Jaguars beat the Bills. We had the Texans beat the Titans. We had the Jets beat the Titans and the, and the Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals. We had the Lions just beat the Vikings, who we thought the Vikings were on their way to the playoffs too. This This, has been a year in which the bottom half of the league has been able to win some games that they haven't. So if you told me we have an upset in the playoffs this year, if you told me the Packers lose in the wildcard round, or the Chiefs, like I said, I've been having to worry about the Chiefs. The Chiefs go out early. I would not be surprised because that's been the type of year we've had all year. In fairness to you on that point, because you got me on this one. Yes, they can pull one of the great upsets of the last 10 years in the playoffs, and I will be wrong. But on the flip side, uh, I would have said the same thing about Kirk Cousins playing at the 13-3 and Saints two years ago, and I would have been dead wrong. So eventually, I'm going to have to be wrong. There's always one. It's just deciding which of those is it going to be. There's going to be one team that gets hot. There's going to be that 2011 Giants squad. No one gave the 2011 Giants any bit of a chance and here they go on a Super Bowl run I just don't think that you would say any of these teams are on a Super Bowl trajectory but if you told me get into the second round and beat a team you shouldn't that happens almost every year in the NFL at least every every so often it happened to the Titans two years ago when they beat the Ravens with 14 and two that were unbeatable in the playoffs in the greatest upset of the last 10 years well the greatest upset since the Giants Packers one it's just the ones that we remember off the top of our heads uh, also the Colts should have beat the Bills in the playoffs last year If they had just executed at the goal line, they would have beat the Bills in the playoffs last year. But that is neither here nor there. Speaking of the Bills, let's get into the Bills. I think whoever made the NFL schedule this year had a little bit of fun when they decided to give the Bills Tom Brady a week after facing the Patriots on a short week. I feel like that's almost poetic how they decided to line it up. Oh, yeah, you're going to go from the one team that they played the Patriots the week after, too. I think they got a Tom Brady sandwich in between two Patriots games. They faced the... Panthers, and then they face the Patriots once more. So there Sorry, is going to be a layer of cheese in between there. I, I guess you would literally say a layer. Well, because I enjoy cheese. What would the Panthers be the equivalent of? Tomatoes. Uh, the, I don't like tomatoes on my sandwich. Yeah. I'll be honest there. So uh, in that sandwich, you do got a layer of Cam Newton tomatoes, which, hey, is also kind of appropriate. Kind of Patriots tied, I suppose. Of course, the Bills were able to get those victories when they faced the Patriots when Cam Newton was under center. Whereas, can't do it when Mac Jones is completing two of three passes for 17 yards let's pull up the stats there because I I thought some of the stats surrounding that game were the biggest storylines here per Adam Schefter Patriots three pass attempts were their fewest in franchise history and tied with the 1968 Chiefs for second fewest in a game in the Super Bowl era Bills once attempted two passes a game versus the Jets in 1974 Patriots also became first team since 1978 Saints to rush on 90% of their plays it was the Bill Belichick special I think you mentioned it that is like his dream scenario Mario to be able to just have a game in which he just runs the ball consistently and doesn't have to have it all tied back to his quarterback. This for me brought up memories of the 2019 NFC championship game where Jimmy Garoppolo had, I believe seven or eight passing attempts in that game in a game. Oh, I can give you the fun stat from that one. Is that Jimmy Garoppolo went one hour and 58 minutes of real time without throwing a pass. Yeah. 
it was a real fun time for me as I saw Raheem Mostert just going up and down the field, but it just brought up the issues with the Bills this season. You mentioned their run defense wasn't as good as we thought it was. Obviously, that got exposed against Jonathan Taylor a couple weeks ago, and the Patriots made sure to double down on it by Damian Harris having a huge day against them as well, over 200 rushing yards for the Patriots in that game against the Bills. One thing that shocked me as I go to Bills Twitter to kind of get their thoughts on the game, you realize there's a contingent of Bills fans out there that are legitimately making a case, man, we should fire Sean McDermott. Man, Brandon Bean, get rid of him. Come on, guys. Let's pump the brakes here. Remember, the Bills were a franchise in disarray, in turmoil, prior to these two guys showing up on your doorstep and turning this franchise around. Yes, though, the Bills go into this game. They are currently 7-6. and six. And if they lost this one at seven and seven in a tight AFC playoff race, that doesn't make you feel too good about it. Uh, The Buccaneers have started to get hot here, validating my MVP pick. Tom Brady is currently the Vegas betting favorite as he had another four passing touchdown day against the Atlanta Falcons. Tom Brady continues to be a monster that just will never go away. Speaking of monsters in your closet. Yeah, that's what Tom Brady is to the rest of the NFL. He certainly is that or certainly is that to the Bills. Let's look at Tom Brady versus the Bills. I just got to see what these total stats are. It, it's ridiculous. It is quite ridiculous when Tom Brady plays against the Buffalo Bills. It's been 20 years of dominating that. We better not give him the MVP. Like, just on principle, we better not give him the MVP this year. You know, it's funny, whereas you look up other rivalries and everything like that, usually it's the first thing that pops up, the total stats versus it. But considering Tom Brady's been doing this for so long, it is honestly so buried in the Google results here. Here we go. Stat Muse. Let's see Tom Brady's career record versus them. 32 and 3. <laughs> 32 and 3 Tom Brady is against the Buffalo Bills in his career. With, oh my god. Let's That's take a look amazing. Here. 8669 passing yards, a 64% completion percentage. His touchdown to interception ratio is 70 to 25, so almost 3 to 1 with a 97.9 passer rating. So yes. If the Buffalo Bills have PTSD going into this game, it is definitely well earned as Tom Brady continues just to dismantle and own their franchise. They're also going into Tampa Bay, the Bills are, and Tampa hasn't actually lost a game in Raymond James in a very long time. I believe their last loss in Tampa was against the Rams last year with Sean McVay on that Monday night football game because hell, they even win the Super Bowl in Tampa. So overall, I think you know where I'm going with this pick. I am going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I think ownage is ownage. I think that whatever year it is, the Yankees will beat the Twins. Whatever year it is, the Seahawks will beat the Niners. Whatever year it is, Tom Brady will beat the Buffalo Bills. I'm tempted to add some spice into our life with this pick, but uh, I can't do it because Tampa's been amazing this year. Tampa has been unbelievably good at football and Maybe, maybe we're going to give Tom Brady the MVP at a just concession at 44 years old or 43 or whatever he is now. It's, it's kind of ridiculous at this point, but he does. He is third in passing yards this year. He's going to be top five in passing touchdowns. Completion percentages up top three in QBR this year. He's been more consistent than any other quarterback in the NFL this year. It has been a good year for Tom Brady. Um, for all those reasons, I think the Bucs are going to score a lot of points against Buffalo. This is not to say Buffalo can't score a lot of points. If you were to ask Buffalo, 
Buffalo, who's an ideal matchup for you. It's a team that struggles to defend the pass at worst in the league levels and is really good at stopping the run. I in have all a counter levels. in that. They have actually gotten better in their passing defense. And I think it goes by the fact that they're actually have gotten their corners back. Sean Murphy Bunning's back. Carlton Davis is back. And fun storyline of the week, Richard Sherman is actually taking um, some practice reps at safety. So they're actually making that much needed move that Richard Sherman probably knew he had to make at some point in his career. He's moving from corner to safety. And the fact that they have a healthier secondary and they're getting good interior pass rush from Namdekin Sue and um, Vita Vea, I think this has really turned around the Bucks' defense as we move forward. So I don't think they're going to be as reliant as they have been on the passing game moving forward. I think you're probably right here. And Tampa has one of the best defensive units in the NFL regardless at this point in the season so far. I think they're ranked third according to DVOA right now. So very strong defensively coming into this for Tampa Bay. If Josh Allen would like that matchup a little bit. I don't know what the case is for Buffalo this year in figuring that out. The good news for them is that even if they do fall to seven and seven this week, because after losing to the Patriots, it feels pretty certain they're going to be, you know, a wild card team this year, whether they're five or six doesn't really matter. It's just a matchup, but they'll probably be the five seed in the playoffs this year um, because Yes, they may fall into a tie with some of those other teams mixed in for the wildcard spots, but they have Josh Allen and those other teams have Derek Carr and Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, Joe Burrow, who's a fine quarterback still like those ones I'm not going to crap on because they, they the young guys have been pretty good this year. But Josh Allen gives me pause for hope for Buffalo, especially once they start playing some of the bad teams on the back end of their schedule. So, you know, like the Panthers and the Jets will make their life a little bit easier in cushioning them to get into to the playoffs. Buffalo is a really weird, is in a weird place right now. Uh, I know Sean McDermott was, got, clowned a little bit up for saying like, you know, we should pause on giving Bill Belichick credit. And I'm going to defend Sean McDermott here on this good podcast, because think about it this way. If Tyler Bass makes that field goal from 33 yards directly into the win, it's a 14 to 13 game. And then at that point on the next drive with six minutes to go, the Patriots would have gone negative one yard run, incomplete pass, screen pass for five yards, immediately punt back to Buffalo. That would have been then Bill Belichick abandoned, or Josh McDaniels technically, but Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels are one in the same right now. It's like the, the scene in, from Austin Powers 2 where Minnie Me and the Dr. Evil are dancing. That's basically what uh, that's basically what McDaniels and Belichick are at this point. So if that's in the, that moment, like they're punting back to Buffalo, Buffalo moves immediately down the field and Bass gets to kick a field goal instead of, you know, Josh Allen missing a read to Stefan Diggs and then missing a route where Colby Beasley goes right and he throws it left and the game's over. They can at least attempt to kick a field goal again into the wind from about the same extra point distance they had last time. Buffalo wins the game. Patriots lose. We're all making fun of Bill Belichick for choking at the end of the game. It's a weird results oriented business at a certain point that's going to you know keep Buffalo from getting the AFC East title and give it to the Patriots now instead of you know Buffalo being eight and four this week or eight and five and then coming in and not getting Getting, uh, you know, not Buffalo comes in and they're in first place. Now they're guaranteed to be a wild card team. So it's that simple sometimes on the results there. Enough has been dissected about Buffalo this year. It feels like we talk about them, you know, every other week. We know what Buffalo is. They're a fully formed team. They can win any given week against any of the teams fully in the formed, AFC. I have problems with here because 
one thing that we saw in that Patriots game, they have no running game. The fact yes. that they can't consistently run the ball with Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Matt Breda, whoever they put back there, I think is a problem. And particularly in this matchup, it was always going to be a problem against the Buccaneers that they couldn't run the ball. But now you really can't because your running game isn't up to snuff with them. And they're going against one of the league's best running defenses, which just puts too much pressure on Josh Allen. The Bills moving forward, if there's one fix, one correction they have to do, they have to get a running game. I don't know if that's through free agency. I don't know if that's investing a top draft pick, but they got to do something something about this and they need a back that really fits their style of football that they need to play in the NFC East. They need a bruiser. They need a guy that can really just put a shoulder down and make it hard for the opposing defense. Maybe, maybe, and that might be an option for them. They just need someone that when the going gets tough, you could put it in his belly and just tell him, go push forward for three yards. Give me four yards of carry. They don't have that right now. So I think that complete team is a stretch because they still need to fix some spots. They have a great wide receiving unit. Obviously, Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. Their offensive line could use a little bit of work too. I think that they do have issues there, but every NFL team I'm convinced at this point has offensive line issues. It's hard to evaluate good offensive linemen. There's very few teams that I think actually go into a game and say, oh yeah, our offensive line is set. But Josh Allen has had to be playing hero ball too often in his NFL career by virtue of having to scramble outside the pocket to make things happen. And you go against a team that has great interior pass rushers, like I mentioned with Vita Vea and Namdik and Sue, that's going to cause issues. Shaq Barrett, he's going to cause issues. The linebacker played with Devin White. They are going to be in a struggle in this game just based off the core positions that they are missing. They are close. Obviously, they were in the AFC Championship game a year ago. I think that's part of the problem when we talk about the Chiefs. Expectations versus reality in 2021 for them. They have not lived up to their high lofty expectations. They were supposed to run away with the AFC East this year. The AFC East was supposed to be theirs year in and year out moving forward. And they're not in the position where they thought they were. And I think that's where a lot of Bills fans frustrations are. But hey, guys, at a certain point, you just have to call it what it is. The Patriots are daddy. Get used to it. (laughs) They're used to it at this. In fairness, I did not say that they were a complete team. They were a fully formed team, which means they're going to suck at running the football. This is just, this is a given at this point. I have two years of sample size to see. I've been waiting two damn years for Devin Singletary to break out. It's just just not going to happen. Buffalo is going to suck at running the football. They're going to suck at stopping the run. They just lost Tredavious White on Thanksgiving. That is a huge blow. I would say the second biggest injury this season, other than Ronnie Stanley going down that is for huge. the Baltimore Ravens. We didn't even get a chance to see that matchup too, because the Patriots only threw three times. The Bucks. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's the Bucks. Oh gosh. This is like just night and day. Cause now you're just going to get hit all over. Like just wet fish Gronk, wet fish, Chris Godwin, wet fish, Mike Evans. No, no Antonio Brown anymore, but still the wet fish, Scotty Miller, Scotty Miller still hanging out there. Haven't heard much from him recently, but anyways, Buffalo can beat any team in the AFC except the Kansas City Chiefs. That's my basic conclusion for them. They can beat beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, but that was before, you know, Kansas City got everything working again. You know, that was back when they they were still able to pass. Mm -hmm. Kansas City, Eh. They're winning games, yes, but do they have everything working? Buffalo's entire playoffs will come down to matchups. Who Buffalo matches up with in the playoffs will determine whether or not they win one or even two or maybe in a weird universe, three playoff games this year. They have flaws. Every team has flaws this year. Buffalo was close to being able to survive that and beat the Patriots because they have high upside offense. Josh Allen, although he's not as good as he was last year, still very good quarterback and very young, very good quarterback, which is the gift that everyone is looking for.
looking for in the NFL across, you know, 10 years, well, really 20, 30 years. But having a quarterback set for 10 years is the thing every team has strived for, what Buffalo has been striving for for 30 years. So to that point, it's good. Good luck to you, Buffalo. You're kind of in the second tier of teams right now. And part of that's injuries, part of its inability to stop the run. Tampa Bay is going to have a day with you in terms of moving the ball on offense. Can you score enough points to keep up? Okay, we have one final game, our Monday night football game. It's going to be a tightly contested NFC West matchup that I think the perfect person to start off this analysis is the co-host of the Red Reigns podcast, my own co-host here, Kyle Ledbetter. The Cardinals going against the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously, we saw this matchup before and the Cardinals dismantled the Rams the last time they played. What can we expect in the second go round? Yes, uh, I, I don't pretend to be any like significant Cardinals expert, but I do produce an Arizona Cardinals podcast for SB Nation, which you should check out. It's the it's available with the link on all of my social medias and stuff. It is very good. Uh, Walter Mitchell is very informed when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals. This is an interesting game because Arizona has been really, really good on the road this year. And at home is where they've been the most vulnerable. Obviously, Arizona has the best record in the NFL this year. So that's only, you know, only goes so far at this point. But I do believe, I do believe the Arizona Cardinals have a good running game this year with James Conner uh, that has much improved them this year. I think James Conner led the league in rushing touchdowns at one point earlier this season. So that's something that's very much improved for them over the past few weeks. I, I do think going into this game, the Rams are going to have two big issues going into this. And one of them is running backs because it looks like it's going to be Sony Michelle again for them this week. And they were able to survive that by playing. They played someone bad last week. Oh, they played the Jack. You can obviously, you know, anyone can move the ball on the Jaguars. Um, the Cardinals rushing defense has been quite strong so far this year. So I think that the running game is going to be a problem for the Rams. But the thing I've been talking about for weeks is that the Rams have been the anti McVay Rams this year. They've just, they've taken the personnel they have and just abandoned everything we used to think we knew about a Sean McVay team, which is commitment to running the football, commitment to zone running schemes, dominating time of possession, uh, offense holds the ball as long as they can. They have not done that this year. They've retooled the team. They've brought in, obviously, Stafford for Goff. They uh, lost Cam Akers at the start of the season. Daryl Henderson's been battling injuries. They have all these weapons at wide receiver. Just add Odell Beckham Jr. a couple weeks ago. Obviously lose Robert Woods, but substitute Van Jefferson into the, the Odell Beckham Robert Woods. Or sorry, no. Sub substitute Van Jefferson and Odell into the Robert Woods role. And that's how they replicate the offense. They've added actually not held the ball as much as their opponents this year. All of this is to say that's going to be a problem against the Cardinals because the Cardinals have been really, really good in the secondary this year. And it's with it's weird because it's with names we've always known. Robert Alford, Byron Murphy, Jalen Thompson, guys that we've heard of for years. And now all of a sudden they're all making these gigantic leaps as the Arizona Cardinals as a team make a gigantic leap from being, you know, number one pick in the draft three years ago or yeah, three years ago now number one pick in the draft to now best record in the NFL. Obviously, you have to find some diamonds in the rough to make such a jump, and that will be concerning for the Los Angeles Rams. With that being said, I think Los Angeles is going to win this week. I am taking the Rams to win against the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona this week and create a tie at the top of 
the NFC West. This is a very interesting matchup because Arizona has a chance to lock up the division effectively if they win this game. That is an interesting note going into this one. And I was looking over the drive charts for the uh, Cardinals versus Rams in the last time they played. It looks like the Cardinals were able to benefit off 21 points off of turnovers in their last game against the Rams as they turned a Matthew Stafford interception into a touchdown. They turned a fumble into a touchdown. They turned a missed field goal into a touchdown. So the touchdown luck was definitely on the Cardinals side the last two times these teams went against each other. And for the sake of adding intrigue here and some gamesmanship here, I will go against you. I I will take the Cardinals in this game against the Rams as I think they will be able to force some Matthew Stafford turnovers at some point in this game. One thing that Matthew Stafford has been turning into has been somewhat of a turnover machine. He's just been in these big games, these primetime games in particular, and he is struggling in them. He is struggling to survive in the LA spotlight as these games start to mean a little bit more. And playing 11 a.m. against the Jacksonville Jaguars, that will certainly help you get your mind right. But coming off of a three-game losing streak where they played a Sunday night, they played a Monday night, and I believe they also had another primetime outing in there, right? They they were on America's Game of the Week against the Packers. Yeah, those are easily games in which uh, you would expect uh, Matthew Stafford, the quarterback that they've replaced Jared Goff with, to be able to produce. But he just hasn't been able to do that for the Rams. And yes, maybe I'm putting too much on him in itself as I go into this game. But you have to start showing me that you can be that guy at some point in the season. I just don't think it's going to be this week. I think as we saw this past week for the Cardinals with against the Ram or against the Bears, Kyler Murray, he looks healthy. A healthy Kyler Murray, I will take that. I, especially against this Rams defense that has also started to regress at this point in the season. Again, mentioned the stars and scrub strategy. I think that we're starting to see those scrubs become a little bit too relevant in the Rams games plans over the last few weeks. And I think that the Cardinals are the healthy they've been in weeks I think that they will be more than happy to take advantage of that and they're going to create some matchup advantages here yes I will confidently go with the Cardinals in this game against the Rams you got the Rams even though you produce a Cardinals podcast man they gotta hate you I'm gonna send this to them I'm kidding yeah I'm kidding. The, they're, they're fine with it I think I don't know I've been, no, I've been you, generally you, you, pro you gotta Cardinals. be objective I, I've picked against it's the it, Niners this year so it I've been generally pro Cardinals at this point. I don't know who's better between the Cardinals and Rams. If, if I told them that, they'd be like, what do you mean? We beat them. We're 10 and two. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, come on. Rams, yeah. Rams have all these talented stars all over the roster. And you guys are the Cardinals. Even though the Cardinals have the number one record in the conference, I still see a scenario where they lose in the second round of the playoffs. How about wild card? They could end up the five seed and have to play the Cowboys. At the moment, if they can avoid that, I guess it, it starts with you winning this game here that they are in the driver's seat right now, unless they tie with the Packers. Uh, the Packers, I believe, have a slightly more favorable schedule. Let's see what the Cardinals close out the season with. Cardinals. All right, let me see if I can get this off the top of my head because I've looked at it before. So I know they still play the Seahawks. I think they've played the 49ers twice, so they're done there. They played the they've Colts, got... yep, Cowboys, on... Lions. <laughs> okay, yep. so out the gate here, they have a win against the Lions. I'm just going to mark that. Fair enough. Against the Seahawks on a closing week. Now, I guess that also depends on do they have it locked up or not. At that if point. they've already locked it up, then this conversation doesn't matter because they'll already have the one seed. But to do that, I guess you'd have to almost go 3-0 and in this stretch against the Rams, Lions, and Colts to lock it up. 
And then the it's Cowboys doable. and the Seahawks game kind of become a little less relevant. It is very much doable. The Cardinals are a very good football team. Okay, well, it starts with a Monday night victory. So as much as I hate saying this, because it still is going for a division rival. Cardinals, I have faith in you. Cliff Kingsbury, come on. Come back, coach of the year, whatever it is for you. Glad you didn't take the Oklahoma job. Congratulations, <laughs> Brett Venable. But good on you for leading this team to a season, even when you lost Kyler Murray for three weeks there. I think that's what makes the MVP race there interesting. The fact you lost Kyler Murray for three weeks. You've had inconsistencies from Mahomes, Lamar. Tom Brady's just been there. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a cop-out answer, but yeah, it looks like Tom Brady's going to get it. It's it's unfortunate and dumb. It's a shame that Derrick Henry didn't stay healthy because if there was ever going to be a year in which a position group that wasn't the quarterback position was going to win it, it would have been with a Derrick Henry producing a 2,000-yard rushing season for the back-to-back years. Unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. Does Jonathan Taylor have a crazy end of the season? Maybe. Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's having the classic Offensive Player of the Year award, which is very good season by a running back, which means you get the Offensive Player of the Year award, which is basically just become best non-quarterback award. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just Tom Brady's at this point, wrapping it up there. Too bad he doesn't get to face the Buffalo Bills each and every week, right? Then he would just locked it up weeks ago. I mean, fuck, 32 and three, am I right? Was that the best stat of this podcast here? Can I produce a different? I like Derek Carr being on pace for the fourth most passing yards in the history of the NFL, which I think is a 17 game season thing, but I'm not sure. Like, it's just, it's, it's kind of funny that that's the case that we, we don't know how to do analysis around stuff like that, where Derek Carr, you know, Derek Carr is throwing for 5,600 passing yards or something like that. That's, that's a pretty good one. I'm trying to think. The Raiders lose this one. They are eliminated officially. You know, part of the thing I wanted to mention in the Raiders Chargers preview was I do worry about Kansas City and the fact that they have the Thursday night turnaround against the Chargers. I know it's a division game, but do you overlook the Raiders in a way considering what you did to them the last time you played? I don't know. I think they can lose to the Raiders and the Chargers. It's not unthinkable in the modern NFL that they lose one of those games, but the Chiefs you should know, win. Especially the AFC win. West matchup i mean anytime you face a division rival you have to be on upset alert yeah you're, you're not going to catch me betting against my boy patty mahomes not to overlook the raiders or overlook the chargers i, I not i not they i got a 10 that. point line in that one again and i guess they did cover this week against the broncos but again you just look at the last two years the chiefs typically don't cover yeah, no, that because because everyone bets the Chiefs, and so Vegas will take all your money betting the Chiefs and keep the line moving up and up and up, and then the Chiefs actually play closer games. It's the reason why the Detroit Lions are eight and four against the spread this year, is because everyone keeps betting against the Lions, and Vegas is like, all right, we'll keep moving this line. That's fine. You want to know ultimate Vegas taking the money there? Eighty percent of betters on the Alabama Georgia game took Georgia. Yep. Vegas, the house always wins. They got so much invested in it. The house always wins. Except if you are the Las Vegas Raiders. Of course. Yeah. No, the the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, I think the reason it's 10 points is not necessarily love for the Chiefs. It's principle. The Raiders are not allowed to be good at football. Except 2016, but then Derek Carr has to break his leg. And again, they were still a wild card team that year. It has been 20 years since they've won the AFC West. Again, an AFC West that has had like great teams. The Chargers were great in the 2000s. Peyton 
Peyton Manning's Broncos, the Chiefs now. Like it's it's been a good good time for the AFC West. It's just the Raiders have been crap all the way through. Did you see Dabo got linked to the Raiders? Oh, that would be fun. Dabo, Dabo is going to leave. I'll put that out there. I've thrown out some bold takes here. Dabo is going to leave Clemson in the next couple of years. I'm not sure for, for who or for what, but Dabo is going to leave Clemson pretty soon. Dabo's cashed out what he can there. The problem is, okay, so this year he's losing Tony Elliott and he lost Venables. So that's going to instantly and, impact. And Radakovich. And Radakovich. athletic director's gone. So you lost some pieces around you. So if you were going to leave Clemson, that would make a lot of sense based off people around you. The problem is him making the leap to the NFL. And we've seen it with Urban Myers where Dabo's not necessarily a play caller. Dabo's not beating you with a scheme. Dabo's been beating you with recruiting and being able to keep his guys in the building and not leave for the NFL draft. So does that skill set transfer over? Can he be a GM head coach? It just doesn't feel like a fit, but I could be wrong. I mean, oh, I, I think it's just more of a reason for why he would leave is just because his game is having people. He, he uh, we did, we did the oral history of the Clemson Tigers dynasty this week. I did a lot of research on this. It's basically like they caught lightning in a bottle with the timing of them investing a bunch of money in the football program in 2012 and getting Deshaun Watson to come to Clemson and him being really, really good and almost getting them to a national championship. And then once they got that national championship, they pivoted really well to getting four and five-star recruits, including Trevor Lawrence. You know what? Dabo, you like the color orange, right? I'm just saying. Right here, Texas. Sure. If Sark doesn't turn it around in a couple years, Dabo's out there. I'd be willing to offer Dabo a 10 to $15 million a year contract. Dabo's just waiting for Saban to retire so he can he can go back home to Alabama. But maybe in the interim, he'll go to... Maybe he can't wait that long. Maybe his reputation won't last because Clemson's never going to win another national championship. I feel very confident saying Clemson is not going to win another national championship under in the next decade. Like that run, that run is a moment in time that's pretty much over at this point, but they can still make the college football playoff every now and then. They're kind of in this second or third tier, like with Notre Dame or Florida on a good year, or I don't know, Oklahoma. They're kind of in that tier now of college teams. Well, I guess it gets hard harder if Miami ends up being much of anything. I guess it gets tougher if Wake Forest continues their running success. I mean, the ACC is, as we mentioned, it's a lackluster conference. So if he could continue being a one-win ACC team, or a get undefeated to the ACC and, team, then yes, you get to the playoff. I, I guess it depends. a 14-point underdog against Bama. <laughs> See, you mentioned it was lightning a bottle. If he keeps some of those five-star guys, if he keeps getting like these dynamic quarterback plays that he got lucky with Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, then that will make or break Clemson's seasons. But anyway, man, I know you have to get out of here. I actually have to get out of here too for another podcast. So, all right, we will close it out there. Slump Busters, thank you for staying with us this long. This is definitely on the longer side of our recordings. Leave a like on this if you're watching on YouTube. Leave a five-star if you're watching this on Apple iTunes. Leave us a review because we definitely appreciate that. From Kyle Ledbetter and Juju Talk Sports, stay safe, happy, healthy. We will see you on the next one.